Battle Line Podcast, Chris Peranto and myself, Ian Scott, a lot to cover on this show. A lot of things going on in the world. We, of course, have Navy SEAL veteran, SEAL Team 6 veteran Justin Sheehan coming on. Very excited for that. But before we get to anything, Ned has been a game changer for both of us in terms of sleep, in terms of recovery. It is great. CBD really is something that you need in your life if you're struggling in terms of anxiety, depression, sleep, post-traumatic stress, any of that. Ned is a best-selling sleep supplement as well that they have, the, the new Sleep Blend, and it's an improved offering for even greater night's sleep if you've checked out the original formula. This new formula blends CBN, a powerful cannabinoid that promotes sleep, with 750 milligrams of USDA-certified organic CBD from the purest single-source hemp flower extract and organic wild-crafted botanicals traditionally used for sleep. The new Sleep Blend has 24% more sleep-inducing botanicals by weight than the previous version. And with all of their products, as always, Ned has full transparency. They share third-party lab reports of who farms their products and their extraction process all right there on their site. Their CBD products have over 2,000 five-star reviews, and they work with professionals in the medical field, doctors like Dr. Caroline Leaf, Dr. Christian Gonzalez, and Dr. Will Cole. And this is the last month to do this. This is Ned's birthday month, so this is really the last week, I should say, to get in on this before the end of the month as you're hearing this. So if you'd like to give their new and improved Sleep Blend a try, Battleline listeners get 21% off with the code Battleline for the month of March only. It's their best offer of the year. Visit helloned.com slash battleline to get access. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash battleline to get 21% off. Thank you, Ned, for sponsoring yeah. our show and offering our listeners a natural remedy for some of life's most common health issues. Yeah. Also, I couldn't be more amped. We are coming up on Fort Scott and Battleline Tactical's opening for their training facility it's going to be awesome. Yeah, I'm psyched. Yeah, it, it, it should be as long as the weather holds. You just never know out here. Even if the weather's crappy, we'll still have fun. We always have fun out there shooting. Could make it more fun. Yeah, fun. possibly. possibly. <laughs> but shooting shooting, and, and, and working together, and, and you're going to have a lot of people smiling out there. I get it. It's one of those things that's just going to be a lot of fun. I, I think people come in with the mindset of, uh, and, and maybe, rightfully so, that you're going to come in and train and shoot, and, and you're going to have egos everywhere. And it's just not the case with Battle Line. And it's not the case with Fort Scott Munitions either. Guys, we, we have fun. We enjoy ourselves. I think you learn more when you're having fun if it's a course that's built to do that, just to have fun and learn. It's not a vetting course. So, guys, whatever you see a Battle Line course or anything at Fort Defense, come in with an open mind. Come in with a smile on your face because that's what you're going to see from the instructors and you're going to see from all the people that come in from Fort Scott Munitions. And, yeah, we're going to have a great time. Great time shooting. Yeah, a lot yeah. of smiles. And, and for the listeners, you're probably wondering, how do I get in on this? For this particular event, of course, there's always Battleline tactical, tactical courses that you could sign up for. But for this particular event, this is exclusive. The only way that you're getting in is if you buy Fort Scott ammo and you get one of those copper tickets. So the copper ticket is an ex all-exclusive two-day carbine and pistol course, close to $4,000 worth of FSM, TUI ammo, lodging, food, and travel, all included and uh, yeah, this is on May 6th through the 7th. These are the last days to really get in on this. And the way to do that is there's a link in the bio, yeah, the link in the description, I should say, and you could just buy any ammo from fortscottmunitions.com and you can get in on this copper ticket. Not only will Chris be there, I'll be there. 
but Clint Morgan of Classic Firearms, Matthew Patterson of GOA, Jared Giannis of Guns and Gadgets, our friend Hank Strange, who's been on, uh, Braden Langley of Langley Outdoors Academy, and John Keyes and Sher Michael Singleton of Guns Out TV, Jesse Fenley of Knuckle Down Dynamics, TJ and Thomas Kurgan and Alex Milberg of Tactical Shit. So just go to that link right there. Um, these are the last days to do it. And as always, you can go to Fort Scott Munitions and use the promo code BATTLELINE for, uh, for 15% off all their merch and what is left of their TUI ammo. Check it out, guys. With that, we'll get right into everything. From Omaha, Nebraska to New York City, from planet Earth to extraterrestrial life in space, a podcast with no equal, engaged in unconventional warfare through your speakers and headphones. This is a show about embracing the suck, conquering your demons, and finding God in the face of adversity. Chris Tonto Peranto. Twitch is on. Motherfucker, I'm going to shoot you in the face. Ian Scotto. You know, Ian and I have been dating for a long time. You are now tuned into the Battle Line Podcast. The Switch is on Battle Line Podcast. And originally, so here's the thing. This show is going to be up late in the day. It's it's Monday as we're recording this. We usually record a few days in advance, and then I can get it up first thing in the morning. I'm kind of glad that it fell out this way because over the weekend, um, there's been a lot of changes with the Ukraine situation, I, sh- I should say. I was originally going to talk about the Marines who died, unfortunately, in another training accident. I believe that's the second training accident with casualties this year. Um but with the stuff with the Ukraine, the, the three things that I really would point out, and uh, I, I think Chris, like we're both in agreement, I never try to be, and you never try to be alarmist with the stuff going on and the World War Three stuff. And I think this might be the first time in the history of the show that maybe I do sound a little alarmist because of some of the things that the president is saying. Um, the three things in particular that I would point out are, uh, it was this was prior to the weekend, so this was a week ago, and this is coming from... President Biden himself, if you guys think I'm being conspiracy theorists on this, you could find the speech. I'll see if I could even insert it into here. Um, he gave a speech calling for his words, not mine, calling for a new world order and a liberal world order. As one of as the uh, one of the top military people said to me in a secure meeting the other day, 60, 60 million people died between 1900 and 1946. And uh, since then, we established a liberal world order, and that hadn't happened in a long while. A lot of people died, but nowhere near the chaos. And now is a time when things are shifting. We're going to there's going to be a new world order out there. That the, that he said it in the speech. This is not coming no. from yeah. you know Alex Jones or anything <laughs> like that. Then then he went over to meet with military personnel with um, active duty soldiers, and he used the phrase when. You guys go over to Ukraine, not if we go to Ukraine, when we go to Ukraine, 
which they're saying is some type of a gaffe. Why would you use that phrase? And then the third of which that I'm sure all of you have heard by now is Biden going over to Poland, which makes things even worse to give this type of speech overseas and to say that we cannot allow Putin to be in power. And to me, this has all of the same markings of stuff that you've experienced of these regime change wars. And it's the same thing as we can't have Saddam in power. We can't have Gaddafi in power. And now it's we can't have Putin in power. And at least in my history of just being an outside observer and just an American citizen, this never ends well. No, I, and guys, we said, I said in the beginning, beginning with that everything, we, we had lost this when it went to war. I mean, when it, when it finally ended in combat operations, I said it and we said it on the show. It's like, hey, it's lost. Yeah, you it's said like, it. Yeah. It's, like, it's like Biden lost, guys. And now I don't know if he's trying to do it to save face. And that's the thing with politicians. Politicians, they really do feel that they are the superior intellect, superior people of, uh, and particularly, you know, United States politicians as of late uh, are superior to the rest of us. And they know everything. They know everything. They know what to do. And they are just as fallible as everybody else. And, and we're seeing that. And I hope people recognize this. So whenever you're voting again, and, and I, I hope we have another elections that we're voting again, you, you got stop voting with such emotion and, and vote with common sense. I, I, I think a lot of people saw this coming. Um, I, I know I did just be, but I saw him as a vice president. And when he actually was coherent, <laughs> if you could say that, and he was terrible then, I, and, you know, and, and leaving us behind, do you think that he was, he would recuse himself from what happened to us? And that's what he said. Well, I'm going to recuse myself from what went on. I'm not going to answer anything in Benghazi. You are second in command there, brother. You're second in the chain of command of, of the United States military. You can't recuse yourself from a situation that happened that took the lives of, of, of one of the highest ranking ambassadors in, in the United in the United States in the State Department, which equivalents to his position. He's literally a vice president of Ambassador Stevens. And, and that just shows his character. But again, here we go. People voted for it. And now we're paying the price. But is this? But uh, this has been, I, I mean, this has been a history no matter who we vote in, because like I would say, the regime change wars, uh, uh, just in my well, in my recent lifetime, you, ha- you have Bush with Saddam, you have Obama this, with Gaddafi, and now this is a third of what we're getting in where we're, this is the, I mean, this is the first time the president has said the words, we cannot allow this person to be in But power. you and I talked about it on a text, and it wasn't angry, it was just back and forth, like, this is not oh, yeah. the global war on terror. Putin and Russia is not Libya and Gaddafi. Putin and Russia is not Saddam Hussein and Iraq. These guys have nuclear weapons, just as many as we do. That's what the scary part of this, not going in and fighting terrorists. And that's, you know, global war on terror. I was in the middle of it, guys. A lot of people were, a lot of my friends were. I'm not downplaying that, but this is a different situation. This is a world power. And they are. Man. Now we're seeing that they're they're not military. They're not very good on their beans and bullets side, their logistical side, because of gas. You, you should always have enough food and fuel to mount an operation. If you don't, you don't mount the operation or you, or you wait until you do. I mean, uh, you never see the United States running out of fuel and, and we're going fighting Iraq, Afghanistan over, overseas. This, we don't fight anybody next door. We're not like we're invading Canada or anything, but this is different, but I, I think you, you can't treat this as a, uh, as a regime change as we would a, a Libya or we would a uh, Iraq, or we would, and, and Afghanistan really didn't have a regime, but trying to overthrow the Taliban, I guess that would be a regime change. But that's that's different. Though they don't have nuclear weapons, they don't have Spetsnaz. You know, they don't have 
an Intel community that might be even better than ours, you know, and saying, and so that's what's scary is because this overthrow regime change overthrow will end up, it won't end up in just us going in and, and, and occupying a country. It's going to end up knock on wood here. I don't want it to the chances of ending up in a nuclear war. 90, 90% where the chances of having a nuclear war going into Iraq or Afghanistan or Libya or Yemen, or when we helped with the coup in Egypt, that doesn't, the, the, the percentages of a nuclear war don't raise that much. And that's what's scary. A, a fight on fight war. Yes. But you know, it's like getting in a boxing ring and you're, and you're both fighting and you're both throwing punches. That's what it was like with the global war on terror, more or less. Going into Russia or having a war with Russia will not end up that way. It's it's them bringing the guns out literally in a boxing match and shooting each other and both countries dying. You know what I'm saying? And I hate to be that yeah. pessimistic, but that's how you have to look at it just on a tactical side. And then the repercussions of what takes place when there is a nuclear war. Do you think that they think that both countries, especially with who we have in office right now, would withhold pushing a button just to win the fight and pushing a button for to use nuclear warheads, I think we'd be lying to ourselves. So as a country, I think there needs to be, and I know you will, I know a lot of people within your area will, I will, of course, will always say, no fucking way. Don't you dare invade and fucking try to keep Putin from power. Putin's not going anywhere but Ukraine. He's not going to start to push out. I mean, that, that, that's, that's I, I don't foresee that. He wants to. Yeah, that, and that's the, that's the problem, too. Like, just in my experience, yeah. right, of interviewing all the guys that we have is that, and this is, the, this is the reason I guess I would compare it to Iraq in, in just in this sense, is that we look at what happened in Iraq, and I think guys look back on their service and they say, was Iraq truly a threat to the U.S.? And I think people are saying, is Putin really a threat to the U.S.? Or is it a threat to our allies? And if it's a threat to our allies, I mean, I feel like guys who sign up to join the U.S. Army, the U.S. Navy, the Marines, the Air Force, they do it to defend the U.S., not to defend NATO, not to defend our allies. And the only reason we should have guys ever coming back with limbs lost, guys that we know severely burned, guys coming back, not coming back at all is if a country is a threat to the U.S. I, I, yeah. No, and you're, you're spot on, bro. I, I guess I take it, I'm just taking it down the road because that's that's sure. how, and, and being a, an NCO in the United States Army and then having a little bit of time as a commission officer, you look at, you're looking at three, four steps down the road because that's what you're going to be fighting. It's, it's a chess game. It really, I think that's what the, what a lot of people, even guys like Jack Murphy, Marty Scott, you see guys that are, are really brilliant it's because it is a chess game. It really is. Hey, how can I outmaneuver? It's not, let's get in the fight and, and kill them. <laughs> I mean, that's, eventually it gets to that, but it's how can we maneuver so we win this fight, maybe without even having to fight the fight, right? you know, and that's the art of war. Everybody reads the art of war. I know there's a, I know there's a page in there that says something like be able to win the fight without fighting the fight or something like that. But that is why I'm looking at it from that aspect is because that's what I foresee. If there's Americans and Russians actually fighting each other, fighter jets coming in and fighting each other, that goes to DEFCON, whatever, DEFCON 4. And we are, uh, that that's nuclear war, man. I'm not trying to scare any of you. I fucking, you think I want that? That's why do you think I live in Kansas? Jesus, I, I don't want, <laughs> I want nothing to do with that. I don't want nothing to do with a war anymore. Um, but, yeah, same. Uh, no, but now we've got to start getting on our president here to either, if it was a gaffe, 
shut your fucking mouth. Excuse my language. I'm sorry. Shut your That's a huge gaffe because all that does is now causes causes stress within our enemies. Now, Putin's like, holy shit. Did he mean that? I mean, that's what I would be like. Like, I'm trying to reach What did he why did he say that? Do I need to start prepping for a U.S. invasion or a U.S. interdiction physically with troops? And that escalates right there. And even just a mistake, a gaffe like that could create a could create a nuclear war, could create a, a bigger escalation in force. But I, I, I'm by the Russians and then, of course, in response by us. Um, but I'm with you, brother. I, 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 Russia and Ukraine, that's a Russia. This is a Russia, Ukraine thing right here. And I don't foresee Putin going any farther out from Ukraine. He can't. He doesn't have the capabilities to do that, aside from using nuclear weapons or weapons of mass destruction. So Ukraine, I'm sorry, I said it to be I said at one of our shows when it started and the invasion started, it was lost. It was done. You, Biden, you lost, man. And now how can we recover this without making it worse? But it feels like he's just throwing gasoline on a fire. And it's like, gosh, what are you doing? So what do we do now? Well, we you get your Congress people involved, you get your senators involved, and you outcry. It's like, hey. Yeah, the, yeah the, that's what I was thinking, too. The only thing that could really, because when you talk about elections, I mean, for better or for worse, unless uh, short of anything like catastrophic, this is yeah. the administration we have for the next uh, nearly three years, right? So I think in the meantime, I do think citizens need to do whatever they can just to let it be known how they feel about this one way or the other. I mean, for me, maybe it's just doing this podcast with you. For other people, I mean, I even see when when um, Biden met with uh, active duty U.S. soldiers. I know obviously you can't get into like a uh, debate with the commander in chief. But I think if you could respectfully voice your concerns about this in some way, if you're one of those guys, I think if, if it's shown that there's not the same enthusiasm for this that maybe they think that that they're going to change course a little bit, I would hope. Uh, that, that's how you do that, guys. If you're a troop. Again, if you're a private, you really have no voice. You're, you're doing what yeah. you're But I, I'm being facetious a bit. You do still come in the squad rooms and do private talk. You do. You, you're in a squad. You have a squad room. You close the door and you talk. And you just talk like me and you are talking. You know, you clean weapons and you're chatting. That's where you can voice it. And that's where your team leader or your squad leader will hear it. And if they hear it enough times, team leaders and squad leaders, as much as they want to beat you down and, and retrain you and get you to where they, they do listen to you. And if they feel that there is a morale issue, they will take it up to higher. So it just it's it's like uh, it's this is like a good throwing gas lead on a fire, the good chain of command. You voice your opinion when you're sitting around in the chow hall or you're sitting around cre- cleaning weapons because that's when it's OK to do it. And then that leader takes it to the next leader, especially if he hears it multiple times that there is problems. And then it goes to the next one. And it does work. I've seen it work at Range Battalion. And that's because, and there are, but Range Battalion, we do have excellent leaders there. I mean, that's, that's, you know, that may be an anomaly. I don't know in the regular army how the leadership is anymore. I know up on the top, it's not real good right now. And most of us have seen that. But if you do, if you want to say something and you're in the military, yeah, don't go on social media, don't start blasting, especially. Of course, I agree. Yeah. Use your chain of command. And it does work, especially if the entire team or squad feels the same way or somewhat the same way. And if you have a good team leader, a good squad leader, a good platoon sergeant, a good first sergeant, it will gradually go up the chain of command. And and the, the lieutenant colonel, the battalion commander, and the command sergeant major of the battalion and of the regiment or division or so forth, they will get to them. And, and they will put their opinion. They will 
they will relay that if they're good commanders. But on the me side, on the civilian side, me and Ian are both civilians. Me now, this on this podcast is a way for us to voice your opinions. You guys go out there, put something yeah, down on our podcast I think, page. That it'll we'll pop it out. Sure. I mean, that's just. I think even just the uh, the opinion of the public at large. But this, the strange thing to me is I really felt like after Afghanistan, the public was going to be very skeptical and not going to be on board for any war. And I think the support for Ukraine, which originally is a good thing, because I think Americans are very um, like we do a lot just voluntarily. Yeah. I think Americans donate a lot when they see a cause. And this is a good cause to donate to the people who are being hurt, the civilians being hurt in Ukraine. Um, donations, people actually going over there to volunteer to fight the same way we had guys over here volunteering to fight with the Peshmerga, like that should all be done. But when it's um, the government getting involved, that's a little different. And I just felt like, I, I felt like after all these wars, uh, these p- previous years, um, the public would feel like enough already. Um, I, I mean, you get the feeling- we have to worry about things at home. I mean, when you look at Flint, Michigan, and what happened with water, and the fact that we have all these like basic issues, problems with the VA. I just feel like the public would feel like until these issues are solved, let's not be the world police. Well, and you're seeing we're seeing propaganda with the media. This is like we've talked about the mainstream media. I think most are. I'll be honest with you, but we're not seeing it because the government controls the media. Holy shit. We've been fighting a global war on terror, been in these countries for how many years where the dictators control the media, which controls the propaganda. We've been saying it out for how long here now on the Battle Line podcast, even. <laughs> wow. It's shocker. The, the government controls the major media out, which, which puts out the what they want you to hear and see, which is propaganda. And here we are. And obviously, from what you're saying, from I'm taking it from that, Ian, is that that the country in itself wants to be at war. I don't being out and speaking every, and I'm so blessed that I get to get out and I get to talk to people all over the place and speak in front of people and then talk to them. Cause believe me, this comes up, this questions after I get done talking, what we're talking about comes up because people are worried a little, they are concerned. Um, most, and this isn't just right wing people, guys, this is everybody. This is all, all political affiliations, all denominations. They don't want this anymore. They don't want to be a part of this anymore. And that's why I said in one of our podcasts in the beginning, hey, Ukraine is lost. I'm sorry. And there were two Ukrainians in my audience when I did this one time as well. I spoke at a group event in New Jersey, Earl Asphalt, tremendous company, great company. But they came up to me after I said that because they asked a question. What do you think about Ukraine? I said, guys, this was three weeks ago. I said, Ukraine's gone. It's not what you, it, it was lost when the invasion started. If we couldn't find a diplomatic resolution to it, Ukraine, it, it, we lost it and you have to let it go. It's done. Now we can just try to help it continue to move along. But Putin's going to get what he wants, or at least most of his what he wants. If we try to fight that with force, there's going to be World War Three. That's what I said. That's what I said. Friends. And two guys from Ukraine that were from Ukraine, they're Ukrainians and now work for Earl Asphalt. They actually citizenship still there. Um, and they have dual citizenship. They said, you, they said, they said, Mr. Tonto, Mr. Tonto. <laughs> they said you you you're right on the nose. They said you're right on the nose. That's we 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 you said the right things. And I said, guys, I apologize if I offended. I said, no, you didn't offend us at all. That's exactly what's happening. And the problem is, is now because I don't have the failing poll numbers, brother. I don't know. I don't watch the polls. Maybe it is. I would assume this would be part of it. Our president's trying to scrape, and he has terrible advisors that are advising him to this. Whoever's advising this is just is dumb. Has is dumber than a bag of hammers. 
is advising him to put out this information. And you're right. This is what it does. It's going to cause more panic. But as we've seen with COVID, what does panic do with the government? It gives them more control. Is that the end state? And now I guess I'm, I sound like Alex Jones a little bit, don't I? Um, <laughs> but it, what are they doing? Well, we're going to start creating a little bit more panic, a little bit more worry, concern, and we should be concerned a bit. But what's the end state of this? Is it to get more control because that's what worked during COVID? And that's what got my opinion. If you say the election was actually fair, got him elected. Uh, or is it for real that he really feels like we should go into World War Three and overthrow <laughs> overthrow a world powers leader, um, which is the dumbest. That's just dumb. I, I, I just no way. Um, either way, their answer is wrong. It's a terrible answer. And the answer is wrong. Either way, you, you look at it. Uh, but but I, I, I still try to stay optimistic. Still got the sun shining out here. Things are still good. Uh, good out in, out in mid, mid, middle America. I want to tell people that don't worry yet. Don't worry. Does nothing but make you feel shitty twice. If you, so don't worry, just keep living your life. But like Ian said, and I agree with Ian, get your voices out there and get it out to say, hey, this is not adequate. This is not acceptable. We do not want this as a country. Um, and I don't, I, I don't want to see us go to war. I don't want to see it again. I mean, granted, will it happen down the line? Most, I mean, it always, it, it, it does, Yeah, but not for and something course, stupid, you know, not it, for something like that. And I'm sorry, Ukrainians, I didn't mean to call this yeah. stupid, but not for something like this that really would create, uh, it sure has terribly changed the entire world, and it would, and if, if everybody, if people even happen to live through it all. <laughs> yeah, and of course, if we do go to war, I mean, I fully support anyone who's going to be over there in, in our uniform. That has nothing to do with that, because yeah. they're not the ones who make decisions um with that you know maybe we'll get justin sheehan's take on this justin is a veteran of of these wars the same ones that you are so it'd be good to maybe hear from him on that get into his history and and justin actually does a lot of great work with photonist defense photonist defense is the global leader in night vision solutions providing more high quality night vision capabilities than anyone hunters shooters boaters and outdoor enthusiasts rely on photonist defense systems to make their adventures safer and more successful Military, law enforcement, and public safety end users utilize photonist defense solutions to give them the edge at night in tactical situations and rescue operations. Photonist defense is now offering state-of-the-art night vision systems from the PD-Pro B16 millimeter binocular and the PD-Pro M16 millimeter monocular to the PD-Pro Q panoramic night vision system. Customers from all over are excited about these new, smaller, lighter NVGs You've got to see these things to really experience how much smaller and lighter they are than anything you've used previously. Visit photonistdefense.com for more information. We're going to get into some more talk about Photonist organically just because Justin's done a lot of work yeah. with them and the fact that he's a veteran and who's who's been a combat veteran and, and really knows night vision, he's going to have a lot oh, yeah. to say. So once again, visit photonistdefense.com, P-H-O-T-O-N-I-S, defense.com for more information or look for Photonist Defense product options from your night vision dealer. Also, this show is brought to you by BioPro Plus. If you're 35 and older, and you currently feel like you're lacking that primal motivation, drive, and energy you used to, and you want more out of life and to improve your performance in the gym or bedroom, here's the deal. Every year after puberty, your growth hormone decreases, sometimes by 50% by the age of 35, and it only keeps going downhill from there. It doesn't matter how in shape you are or how good your diet is. It's happening to every one of us. 
That's where BioPro Plus comes in. BioPro Plus is the first of its kind, a 100% non-synthetic alternative to prescription HGH growth hormone treatments. It immediately replaces what your body is no longer getting, and it does it naturally without needles, without nasty side effects, or expensive cost of typical synthetic growth hormone treatment. Um, so yeah, we, we spoke a lot more about BioPro Plus last oh, episode. Yeah. It's something you've been using now for somewhere around a month and it's worked. Yeah, actually it, it works extremely well. I, and yeah, I, I was uh, at the beginning, I, I was a doubter I, and I do a lot of, you know, I do a lot of doubting when it's like, Hey man, this magic elixir is going to work for, and uh, it, I'm saying that in a good way now it, it works guys. It, it has tremendously helped not just my ability to work out and yeah, it does affect my ability <laughs> in the bedroom. It does. But also recovery, uh, it's tremendous. And, and it allows me to synthesize, you know, I use Bub's Naturals protein, a collagen protein. It is helping me synthesize that better. I can feel it. So now I feel like I'm getting the full effect of all the nutrients that I'm taking in because my body and my testosterone are back up where it need to be. And I'm 51 years old. I mean, I, I, I'm still out there running four miles and five miles, eight miles, I'm running fast two miles, and then going to the gym for an hour, then doing 100 pushups to 200 pushups during the day. And yeah, I, I, it is. It's crazy. I, I but I, 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 and I continually work hard and you got to put the work in, of course, but the stuff works. It does work and it has helped me tremendously. And I feel, I just feel good again. Like I did when I was in thir my thirties, just, just mentally in a good cool. spot. So it's excellent stuff, guys. Yeah. Excellent. Check them out guys. Yeah. Bioproteintech.com. And for our listeners, you're going to get $30 off when you use the code battle line at checkout while supplies last. So that's bioproteintech.com, battle line at checkout. You're going to get $30 off. And uh, yeah, let's get over to Justin Sheehan. Joining us for the first time on Battle Line Podcast is actually a, a guy I met over at SHOT Show at the Photonist booth. We ended up talking about a whole bunch of things. And I think um, it's just interesting when you, when you meet certain people and you could tell, okay, this guy is a cool guy, no ego, and he'd be perfect for the show because yeah. there, you know, there are guys with a lot of <laughs> ego at SHOT Show and this is not the type of guest that we want on, really. So Justin, his resume, though, if he wanted to have an ego, he certainly could. So Justin is a veteran with multiple deployments of SEAL Team SEAL Team 6, I could say, right? Or DevGrew. Could you not say SEAL Team 6 I, anymore? Doesn't, like, Disney own the rights to the name SEAL Team 6? <laughs> Doesn't Marvel. for real. That's, that's Marvel. Are you sure? You're, are, are you, Mar Marvel are you fucking with me? Are you serious? I, I, I can't tell if you're joking or not. Does Marvel really own the rice to SEAL Team, that name? Did it? No, no, no. I'm saying I think Disney bought Marvel. Oh, dude, yeah, 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 yeah. No, but I think I, I think it might have something to do with, like, Lone Survivor or something. Because I could even say, like, I read um, I read Rob O'Neill's book, right? And in Rob O'Neill's book, there's a bunch of redactions. And one of the redactions is just the word SEAL Team 6. It's just black. I don't, oh, I don't, I don't know what – I don't know any of that. Yeah, I know that um, you're not supposed to use the two in conjunction. You know what I mean? The yeah, it's it's wild. So so just yeah, the rest. Okay, wait, so, but, but I guess I don't know why is that. Tell I don't know. I didn't know that. I didn't know. Can I say it now, or am I going to get a hellfire coming through my bed? No, you'll be fine. <laughs> that, what, it's been it's been used and abused. I'm pretty oh, sure. So well, yeah, I, I know. I it, I just didn't know that that was an issue. Is that, is that a Navy? Intel so I'm looking. Thing, then, I, I'm looking what it is though. Just there's an there's an article here from like the Guardian, and I think it was 11 years ago. Yeah that Disney tried to trademark SEAL Team 6, and they failed. 
So that could have been during that time frame. I mean, it is ridiculous. I think Disney would have the trademark of SEAL Team 6. But just to give you yeah, Justin's background, though, I, I want to make sure I get to it. <laughs> Iraq and Afghanistan veteran received a Bronze Star with Valor for um, multiple combat deployments, a part of Photonist yeah. Defense, as well as Eastern Regional Sales Director for KUIU. Um, yeah, so, so getting into everything, I actually want to get into your background, but Chris and I started the show talking about the Ukraine-Russia um, situation and I don't know if you have any comments on it real quick. I, I mean, over the weekend, a lot has happened with especially with the president, you know, now saying we can't allow this man to stay in power. It just it reminds me of the same thing you guys have seen with regime change once again. Yeah, I mean, I try to stay out of it. You know, the I try to stay out of the media and everything that goes on with that altogether, as I'm sure, you know. Oh, Chris, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's tempting. Right. And um I think at an operator standpoint, it's just, it's all speculation, right? Because that was something that I realized getting over there to the command was just that you don't know what you don't know. And it's never, it, it, it's, it's never more real than when you get there and you're like, oh, I had no idea. This is how the big, you know, the big wheels turn. Right. Um, but with Ukraine, I mean, that place has been, there's been lack of stability there for, for how long? Yeah. I mean, been, you know, people don't realize we talked about and Justin, you know, that the Eastern side, They've been fighting Russian separatists have been fighting the Ukrainians for 10 years. I mean, it's not like they're had it just started fighting all of a sudden. They've been battling for uh, longer than the damn longer than 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 the, the uh Turkey back Turkish back rebels against the Peshmer. I mean, it's years and years people don't know about that, yeah. too. But it, it, it is, it's 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 so this is nothing new. I, I again, but I, I agree with you, brother. I'm 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 right on I'm right on point with you. It's just years, years and years. Yeah, so you know, obviously, I sympathize with with the Ukrainians and, and everything going on, but um, I just I know that it's a, a territorial war <laughs> at the end of the day, and uh, it's you know at that level of leadership for the United States, I just I don't know what the I don't know what the right call is there. You know what I mean? The level of involvement it's such a sensitive thing, and I don't know it it, it just blows my mind that people think everybody has a knee jerk reaction to it, right? Like, oh my god, do you hear what's going on in Ukraine? I'm like. What's been going on? What's yeah. been going on? Yeah. Uh, and they're they're blowing up buildings, and well, they're 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 civilians are fighting. Yeah, that's war. I mean, I hate. To, I don't want to be. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I don't want to be insistent, but yeah, this is war. I, I, I don't know what you guys were thinking it was going to be, and and I, I, you know, what's going on around there still is just it's it, it's going to happen. It, it was lost, and I, Ian has said it on the show before. It was lost when the invasion happened. Once the invasion happened, yeah. all right, well, America didn't win this one and Putin's going to get what he wants. And now how do we recover from this? Let's not just keep making it worse and saying we're going to overthrow uh, Putin, which, you know, that's a guy that's holding his finger on the trigger uh, with nuclear weapons. Yeah. It's, we, it's not something you want to say out there. I, my opinion. No, I agree. I don't, I don't think that we need to get involved any deeper than <laughs> we, we are, are right now. Not, like you said, once, once the borders fell, yeah, sorry. Shit, damn it, that sucks. It's, it's, it's just it's super tough, and I, you know, I'm by no means an expert in that <laughs> that area. Like I said, I keep myself out of that and answer, you know, questions from buddies and folks back home mostly. <laughs> no, nobody important, but uh, yeah, it's just a it, it's a terrible thing. But I mean, that place is just it lacks so much stability. That whole region, like you said, that whole region just lacks stability. Years, um, years. Yeah. Well, right. well, that, that that's it. That's it in a nutshell, man. We don't get into politics too much on this, but I, it's good to get an opinion because you did. You do have experience, and, and you're a very humble guy. 
Um, and, and that's why it's good to get your opinion because you don't want to give really an opinion, which means that you're, to me, it means your opinion is valid. People that want to give their opinion out there, uh, me, uh, don't believe me, my shit. I want to give you my opinion. So my opinion is not, what I'm saying is I'm not valid, but this guy, he is. And, and, <laughs> and he's been doing it for years. And, you know, I, I didn't know it at the time, Justin, we'll get into this and we'll, we'll kind of go back and forth. I didn't know that Roan had put you, did Roan put, Rona put you through buds or he was one of the buds instructors when you went through, or you were on one of the team, one of the teams together. Cause you have a relationship with Roan and we talked about a bit at shot show, but I was just trying to get the hell out of there. I'll be honest with you. But yeah. Can you yeah. tell us a little bit about relationship? Because a lot of our listeners of course know Roan and Bub from just listening to the show. And and I'm interested because Roan was amazing. He, he, he really was our team leader that night. He took over. And we all looked up yeah. to him for for just leadership, and he was tremendous. It was un- incredible fighting with him that night. Yeah, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story about him, and you, all right, yeah. you'll really appreciate this. Um, yeah, so I'm in buds, and he is he is running the rollback land. Okay, I'm sure you've heard of that, yep, right? Yep. And and I didn't I didn't know anything about him. Like I'd heard his name, you know, Chief Woods, yada yada, but. Um, I was in second phase and I got rolled for the tread. I was a Smurf gets a, gets a couple Smurfs every single class, right? You gotta, you know, get in the pool and tread water with these twin eighties on your back and weight belt and everything. And I thought like anything else, you could just kind of power through it. And that was not the case. Right. And I saw that quickly. And uh, so I got, I ended up getting rolled, you know, people always think that like these buds classes, you hear about a roll and it's like, Oh man, you got rolled. That's too bad. And it's like, 90% of the class gets pulled, right? <laughs> you know, there's only like six original students in yeah. each class that actually graduate. Um, so I, I got to go, I got, I get rolled. I do my DRB and everything. And they're like, Hey, you're going to go back. You're going to go to rollback land and you're just going to work on your evolution okay. that, that you got dropped for, that you got rolled for. And while you're there, there's going to be a cadre member. There's going to be an instructor and he's going to take care of you. And uh, he's going to make sure you get, you know, ample pool time. You're going to get uh, coaching that you need. You know, we can bring a guy in if you need somebody. We got access to a lot of a lot of dudes. And I thought, okay, great. And I'll never forget this guy tells me this, the senior chief, he says, hey, so 261 doesn't class up for four weeks. Oh, so you got to do for four weeks. You're basically, oh my God. Yeah, that sucks. Uh, so for four weeks, you're, you're rolled, yeah. right? You should take a little time off. He says, uh, you should take a, take a week or at least, you know, four or five days, boogie back home to Michigan, say hi to mama, come back, be refreshed, be recharged. And, uh, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll get cranking. Okay. You've done really well up to this point, yada, yada. And they send you off a little smack on the ass. Right. So Monday, this is on like a Friday, Monday, I show up at rollback land and he's standing there at the front of the muster and we're all in our UDT shorts. Right. <laughs> And I've got a leave chit in the back pocket of my UDT shorts, <laughs> all filled out, you know, respectfully request, yada, yada, it, it, perfect. And uh, he, he says, hey, you know, welcome, welcome to the group, guys. We've already got some rollbacks here from, you know, class 259 or 260 or whatever. Um, but we're going to we're going to get you guys where you need to be super chill. And I don't know anything about him. He's in great shape. He's, you know, just kind of doing the typical buds thing. He's got his shades on. It's like 8 a.m. It's not even, <laughs> not even sunny yet. Um, and he says, hey, does anything got any, does anyone have anything for me? 
I said, uh, Chief Woods, I do. And he's like, fall out. And, you know, I about face and walk up the front there and I hand him my leave shit. And he goes, oh, oh, what do we got here? He opens it up and he reads it. He goes, oh, uh, I was a corpsman at the time, right? Because we had A school still. Okay. Oh, HN Shane respectfully requests uh, time off. And he's going, he's reading it at line by line. And I mean, I had it signed by my LPO and everything. And he's like, oh, yep, that that looks good. That looks good. And he goes, hey, you know what I think about this? He's like, fuck you. And he starts shredding it. And he just tears it into a, a million pieces. He's stomping it. He picks it up. He picks up some of it again, shreds it even smaller. He's stomping on it. He's like, fucking fall in. I'm like, oh, we're not going. You're not. Home. I just got set. I just got punked. Where's Aston Kutcher, man? Aston Kolchak yeah. punked the shit out. So, don't you love when? And that's the stories that we try to tell. And the young guys coming in is it's not the stuff you know what's coming. It's the fuck fuck games that they do that that's gonna yeah. that makes you want to quit. So what? I I have an idea what was going through your head. I, I but we get people that have never served and young guys that want to join. Tell them what was going through your head at that time when when it happened, or were you just or were you fuck? Yeah, they got me. I, but at that, well, yeah, I felt a little set up, right? Yeah, just <laughs> sad. I was. That was my first thought. I was like, "Did senior chief? Is he? Is he fucking with me? Like, was this a, a game all along?" And then I thought, "There's no way. He seemed really genuine. I'm a pretty good read on people." And uh, I was like, "He was pretty genuine. There's no way that, that this was a setup." And then I was like, "Shit." this is the gatekeeper back in, you know, to the next class. And I was like, I got to deal with him the next four weeks. What's he going to be like? Shit. I showed up the next day. He acted like he, you know, forgot I was even there. You know what I mean? He just rolled rolled through the, the, you know, the training and he did, he was great. He supported us and it was pretty chill actually. You know, we got a lot of work in, but. He didn't play a ton of fuck fuck games. Uh, he played some. just a just a just a few. Yeah, I, those holdover in in the in the army, we you know we call them holdover classes. So you have to wait for the yeah. next class. Um, yeah, how was that though with with the train? Because usually those are pretty good. We had guys that, of course, Rangers that can't even swim at all, not even do what you're doing. Just can't. So we have to put them through swimming. Actually, just basic swimming uh, when they're coming through rip or rasp or stuff. And and they actually do a very good job with them, getting them trained up. Uh, and get um, did did it prepare you for the next one? Were you ready to go when you came back? And I'm, I'm sure you were ready to go at the beginning too. It's just one of those things. Sometimes you're just a number, and you're going to get rolled, or you're going to get put in the holdover class, regardless. But when you came back in, what did it feel like? Were you just okay? This is oh. fucking easy. I got this. Or was it? Oh shit! Yeah. This is terrible. Yeah, I felt like I felt like a beast. I mean, I came back, and you know that tread. I literally was struggling. You know, minute three. I'm like, my hands are dipping. And by the time I came back, I mean, I had my nipples were up in the water. <laughs> you know, for one, I learned how to kick, right? Sure. You know what I mean? I, I yeah. realized that you just, you just can't power through as fast and hard as possible, especially when you're five foot seven. So I learned the technique, you know, some of the older guys that were, some of the team guys that were there working the pool deck as well as Roan and then uh, other classmates helped me with that. And then I would go there at night and, wow. uh, I'd jump, I'd jump the fence and me and a buddy and we would get tanks out of the dive locker and pull the pool, that's, pool cover back. That's awesome. You know, he'd read a book and make sure that I didn't die in there, but uh, you know, we'd go there after dark and sneak in. So 
I, you know, I think that's important. I tell all the young guys that are going, I got a, a buddy that's out there in buds right now, a real young kid. He's only 23, but, um, you know, I, I just tell them that you got you got to be creative to get through programs like that, right? Like they're not looking for these square individuals. They're looking for guys that can bend the lines and, you know, yeah. see outside. Them. And um, I know for that was a big part of it, like going there at night and having no support and knowing that if I go under, you know, it's just a buddy that's going to be, you know, potentially in <laughs> responsible for my life. Big deal, you know, so um, you got to be able to do that kind of thing. And um when I went back, they literally accused me of cheating. They were like, Hey, check his, check his vest. He must have air in his vest. <laughs> I, mean, I, I was completely out of the water. Um, but I knew I was going to crush it. Cause I, that's all I did was work on it. That's, you know, or hard work, man, hard work and, and pays off. I always say hard work pays off and you did the extra. That's awesome that you did the extra shit too. Cause lot, I mean, you're, I can, I can just imagine you were smoked during the day and to, just to say, well, fuck it. I really want to pass this shit. Fuck this. I can suck it up and I'm going to go back in, um, back in. Yeah. Pool. That's dude. That's awesome. And, and I tell some of our listeners don't know, you know, what the trade, a lot of them do, but give a little bit of idea of, cause that's impressive. Nipples above the water when you're treading with that. Holy shit, dude, you're like a bobber, but I, I know what you're talking about, but some of them don't. So can you explain what that is? So just to give them an idea of how hard that is. And again, I'm seeing his hands up, guys. His, you're not allowed to use your hands when you're doing this. You're not allowed to. So explain him because that that's impressive, dude. Oh my god, you're you're right here underneath the tits, dude. That's that's fucking incredible. I I couldn't do that. I, I couldn't do that at all. Yes. So the tread, it's a five minute water tread, right? You can you have fins on, but you can only you can't use your hands. You can dip your head underwater, but your hands can never break the surface, right? And then you're wearing these twin 80 scuba tanks, which they're bled down. So they're not buoyant. They're, they're supposed to be neutral, but they're not, they're not neutral. You know what I mean? Like just the, just the impact of those things bobbing and pushing you down is wow. something to deal with. Right. And you've got a weight belt on. And I forget if it was how many pearls we had on there. I think you put four, four pound okay. pearls on there. Wow. You have 16 pounds on a weight belt. If I remember correctly. Um, yeah. And you do a five minute tread just in place, you know, and you're not allowed to use your hands. And if they dip under the water one time, you get pulled out of the pool. So um, it's just a total gut check for, for most guys. And I, you know, I was told when I got rolled, they were like, yeah, you know, we go back and forth. Like, do we keep this evolution in training or do we just pull it? Because it gets so many guys typically it gets the whole damn Smurf crew. Wow. wow. <laughs> you know, cause it's just not built for a short guy treading in water like that. But there is obviously technique to it and how you kick and do like an egg beater and, and everything and get these, you know, bigger strokes out of it, which I realized afterwards. And I was always strong enough to do it. Right. Yeah. It just, I didn't, I didn't understand the technique to it and thought I could just put my, literally put my head down and power, and power through. through. Yeah. And that's the thing is that when you tense up, I learned that why we had a water filtration team at second range battalion. Cause we never would do the missions, but of course we got to, I had to go through the damn scout swimmer and pre-scuba all that shit courses. Um, even though knowing we'd never get that mission, it just was a suck fest. Um, when I, I learned, you know, when you tense up or you have a lot of muscle mass, that doesn't help in the water and, and tensing up. That's where I learned that a guy that was a water polo. He was one of our instructors. He was in uh, one of the first group guys. Cause the first group put us through the, the training 
the egg beater, you know, and learning how to do that egg beater. Cause I was like, holy shit, I didn't know all this shit. I just thought I, same as you, I just thought I could just kick and I'm going to fucking muscle bar you through. So the more I muscled, the more I sunk. And I was like, this yeah. is, this is not, and again, I never got to the level you got. And I don't want to get to the level. I hate the water. I fuck it. That's why I went to the arm. <laughs> didn't, but, um, but it still was a hell of an eye opener of, okay, there's techniques to this. Like you said, you just can't muscle and power your way through this. There's actually things you got to do on a technique side that's going to help you. And that's, that's, that's a learning operators. A lot of operators learn more about technique than just, yeah, we know how to suck and power through, but it's the technique yeah. that you get taught. That's amazing. Well, when you got done, where you got shipped, you're getting shipped off to the team. What was that like? What and how did you did you get a pick? Did you get a pick which coast you're going to go on? Because we get to, we do get to put in a wish list. Not saying it says which battalion you get to go to, but most of the time they do honor that wish list. If I say I want to go to Second Ranger, most of the time I'm going that way. Um, but how, yeah, we, go ahead. We did put in a wish, we did put in a wish list. Yep, we and I put in for all East Coast teams. Okay. Um, I'll be honest with you. I'm not a huge water fan either. I mean, I, I love the water. We spent a ton of time on it growing up, like fishing and, um, you know, water skiing sure. and swimming. But I was never a guy that I didn't live for the beach or the ocean. Um, and two years in a two year pipeline in California, by the time I was done, I was just like, fuck this place. I don't want to be here again. So I thought, well, I'll go to the East Coast. It's something more familiar being from Michigan, you know, with the yeah, trees sure. and the weather the seasons and everything. So I put in for all East coast teams. I, I literally just, I knew nothing about the teams. You know, I'm up here in the middle of nowhere, Michigan, and you don't, you don't hear the things that you hear on the coastlines. So you don't really know uh, where the better team is to go. And this is dial up internet time and, you know, reading. <laughs> what, what, what year is this that, that you were there? This is Oh four that I, and I left in Oh five, but as I was preparing, you know, going through everything, I graduated in 2003 and that's when the, you know, the research process starts. Well, before that, even, I mean, 99, 2000, sure. I'm reading books and stuff, but you know, you don't know, you're, you're, you can't just jump on the yeah. internet and say, Oh, SEAL team two is known for this. You know, um, about all I knew was that team two was a winter warfare team. You kind of could find that through different books and whatnot. Um, so I put in a wish list. I put SEAL team two, four, obviously you skip six, eight, <laughs> right down the line. Right. Um, and I didn't know what, I didn't know what I got picked for. I was told that if you picked an East coast team, chances are you'd be good to go because everybody wants to stay out in Cali. Okay. Everybody wants a West coast team. They want to be, you know, great hair and, and shades. <laughs> Dude, I like the sun. Um, you can't, come on. You can't hate that. I, I understand where you're coming from. If you're in it for two years and you're, you're sucking in it for two years, it kind of, you lose its luster. But as an outsider looking in, I initially looking back now, I wish I would have went to Savannah. Fucking hey, gosh, why didn't I go to Savannah? And I went up to cold up cold Northwest where I'm free. Yeah. But I didn't know what I didn't know. Like so, but I don't blame guys for doing that. But anyway, anyway, yeah, keep going. This is, this is awesome. Keep going, man. Yeah. So I had to go to 18, 18 D. Okay. Which I know you're yeah, familiar yeah. with. Yeah. yeah. Or Vietnam there. Oh, um, shit. So <laughs> I, I, I get asked at the end of third phase, um, who in there are, who in the class are medics? And, you know, I went in and picked hospital corpsman school so that if I ever washed out of buds, I could still go fight with the Marine Corps. Oh, So it was all strategy, right? I just didn't want to get stuck on a ship sure. painting, you know, chipping paint or something like that. Or, you know, God only knows because 
that was my, you know, my biggest concern was just that like, I want to get to combat. How do I, you know, what are all the ways that I can ensure that that happens? So I picked hospital corpsman. Well, I didn't know that was going to bite me down the road because all my classmates, they're shipping out, they're getting their orders. You're going to SEAL Team 5 or what, whatever. And here I'm getting orders to another block of training, which you oh, know yeah. that that soft course is a long block. That's so huge. I was kind of, you know, I didn't, I didn't raise my hand at first. They're like, Hey, medics, raise your hands. We know we got a bunch in the group. And I was like, shit, I raised my hand. They're like, who wants to go to, and they called it 18 D, but it really, it wasn't the full course. It was Sockham. Sock- okay. It wasn't, it wasn't surgical piece as well. It, it was just Sockham, but, um, only a few people raised their hands and, I was like, well, I better raise my hand. You know, I'm a medic. Well, they asked me, do you want to go? And I was like, no, I don't want to go. And they were like, too bad you're going anyway. <laughs> That's hilarious. So, but it was it was great. I mean, the, the training I got there was incredible. Yeah, I hear, and, I hear it's amazing. You guys, I, and I see what I see the guys that you know, of course, that come out of it. And like, holy shit, I'm glad I'm I'm glad you guys went through that because you're going to save my life, and I ain't worried about it. Now I'm not. It actually made guys feel more comfortable because we knew that fucking a. There's no way I'm going to die. If I'm going to die here, it's because there's nobody's going to be able to save me regardless. So uh, how how was that? Because I've never been through it. I'm not a Delta. I'm not a I'm not a combat medic. Nothing even close to that. You know, uh, just basic stuff that we all get for in the line. But how was that course within itself? And and do they not send you guys to do the surgical pieces like at 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 at, uh, at emergency units? They used to like they send you to New York or Miami or to actually get some time with in a in an emergency room or I don't know what you call it, but an emergency room or a a, a very high stress environment hospital where you could actually get your your hands dirty. Yeah, you you still do that. So that was a what I meant was the surgical piece, like actual sitting on a a patient. Okay, gotcha. And doing four months of that we do yeah it's the full six or seven months okay. and then you do a full month in your city so gotcha. i went to richmond virginia oh, okay. to vcu okay. cool. and we did rotations between the fire department and then all the different wards within the hospital so we went to the emergency room we went to labor and delivery deliver a few babies wow. you sit in surgical you you know you go to all these different departments and uh the training was incredible i mean I think I think going through something that stressful and that that high level, like you know, fourth year of med school type stuff, when you finally are encountered with something just absolutely crazy, uh, a gunshot wound or or just simple stuff. I mean, I'm, two weeks ago I'm in Brazil and a guy's choking on the beach and I gave him a Heimlich and people they treat you like you're a hero and you're like it's just a simple Heimlich. He could have thrown himself over a chair and done that. You know what I mean? But. That's still, it's still awesome though. It's still, it's still important that we have guys out there who could do that. Yeah. And and it's just a, you know, the proof's in the pudding, like that training when it stresses you and taps into those deepest places, right. Of performance and execution. Um, It's just, it's crazy how it prepares you for, you know, combat or just life or whatever. I mean, I use, I use that course every single day. (laughs) And I didn't want to go. And, and, and with kids too, especially, yeah, you got to use it every day. You got, cause they're going to stress you the, I'm, I'm, I don't know. My son stresses me the fuck out. I don't know about your boy, but my sons and my, and my daughter even more. So, cause my daughter's more, the most like me. She's, she's exactly like her daddy. Uh, but yeah, go to Sock. Hey guys, go, go to Sockham, go to the 18 Delta course. You'll be able to be the better parent. You can be a great parent after coming. <laughs> but you're right. It really, cause instead of things speeding up, 
uh, it teaches you how to slow, slow the stress down. I mean, I really, you're, you're still stressed. It's always going to be stressed. I don't think you can ever get away from the stressful or the adrenaline. It's just now I can use it constructively and let it, letting it overtake me. The Colonel Cooper's color codes or however you want to look at it. Instead of going into the black, now I can utilize that stress and maybe the world actually slows down. I, that's what reminded me later in my career. Early in my career, no, I, I shit all over myself because I wasn't ready yet. I, but then you get thrown into it and eventually you, you I, I don't know what you think. I think it's just, you just get used to it. Um, I don't think there's any gene or any special thing that somebody has to, I think you just, okay, well, I felt this before. I know what it feels like. It's nothing. It's just adrenaline. Let's use it to our advantage or my, but what, what's your opinion on that, man? Yeah, no, exactly. It's the 10,000 reps, right? Yeah. I mean, it is. No, do anything thousand times it becomes muscle memory so when you and we do that even with our the way we perceive stuff right like if you it's guys get desensitized you know and it can become a problem yeah obviously to a, to a degree when you can't you know transition back into the, the real world and you're not desensitized and you can't deal with people but um yeah i, I think it's just the ten thousand reps and you're you're like i've seen this before i know exactly how to handle this you know you need to go over there you can't if you can't conduct yourself, you need to get out of my way because there's a job that needs to be done, you know, and, and you, and in the civilian world, people especially are just like, holy shit, this guy's like on another level, but in the military and especially in soft and soft and different units, you know, guys, they know the deal and they know like, all right, get out of his way. The same way, like, yeah. I wouldn't dig the EOD guy. <laughs> IED, you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, that's his domain. I know that I know that there's a lot of shit going on there and I just need to leave him alone, you know, and you're able to do your part. Sure. And it's the same way in a, a mask has situation or something like that. So. It will teach yeah. you to stay in your lane. Just stay in your lane, man. And that's that that was beautiful that that Ron and the team, we did have a great team. And, and I had other great teams, but I, I say it specifically because Ron was there and you know Ron. Um, it's that that team, we all were 40 years old or above. All of us had been either senior NCOs or officers. We're all, you know, I was the only Ranger with the three Marines and we had Jack and who was five. And when we're, when we're off camera, I'll tell you his real name. I mean, may already know, yeah. but, um, um, but then with Roan, it, it was that we all have responsibilities and Roan designated those responsibilities to all of us. All of us had different. And it was awesome because it, it really, everything worked perfectly. Everybody stayed in their lane. Everybody did their job and it was just seamless in the transitions and, and, and just the movements, even when we had to break apart and be on foot and be spread apart from each other, even though we'd only been working here for 30 days, it was amazing. It, it, it gives me chills because I, I, it can show when you put your ego and all that aside and you, and, and you put all those, 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 those thoughts of, of, of just what could it happen and should, and may happen, even though we're, we're, we're under man, when you have a good leader that, that has control in the flow everybody shuts up and does their jobs. And it was amazing. It, it was, it was tremendous. So I, I don't know. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm bogarting the time here. It's just, it, it reminded me. Oh, I know. Yeah. And it's a common guy that you guys know, you know, you know what I wanted to ask you about was uh, you, you joining the seals post nine 11, as you said, mid two thousands, uh, kind of unlike Chris, you knew exactly what you were signing up for. You knew where you were going to be going off to possibly, um, what was that like? Yeah, getting deployed to combat locations and and getting ready for the war on terror. Yeah, uh, it was exciting. I mean, that was the we tell we tell guys that about the generation that came in right after nine eleven. Like, 
they're no disservice to anybody that came before. You just don't know what's going to happen in the world conflict-wise, right? But when guys signed up after 9-11, they were truly serving a cause. You know what I mean? So everybody there wanted to go to combat. You didn't get any of the guys that were kind of, you know, you can see the shift, the shadiness and like the the concern, not shadiness, but the concern, like, am I going to go to war? You know, because everybody in the room wanted it. Um, and when you finally, I don't know, for me, it was this, it, my first deployment, I po- pushed out to UCOM, right, for Europe. Okay. And then halfway through, ripped into Iraq. Okay. Right. So the, for the second half, but you know, that first part of the deployment, I was just like, you got to be kidding me. You know what I mean? I went through all this. <laughs> And now I'm going to Europe, you know, like I'm going to go in Europe, like Germany or Stuttgart, Germany to do, you know, training exercises with other foreign special forces guys and help them, you know, uh, work on their standard operating procedures and stuff like that. The the typical thing that you do on a a UCOM or a Southcom deployment. And uh, I was like, you got to be shitting me. I came all this way to go, you know, train other people. And then finally, after Christmas, I got to rip into Iraq. And I was like, okay, finally, we've made it. But I didn't feel like I didn't feel satiated because I felt like the first half of the deployment was stolen from me, right? (laughs) So then you come back and uh, we're working up for our next deployment and we're going to Afghanistan. Well, it came time for ProDev, for professional development, for your schooling, you know, and guys go off and do their own thing. And my wife's Puerto Rican. And I thought, well, what the hell? I'll learn another language, right? So I put in for Spanish and they said, uh, yeah, we can send you to Spanish. Matter of fact, why don't we put you in three troop so you can go to Southcom next deployment? Oh, wow. And I was like, I was like fuck you. If you think <laughs> I'm getting my Afghan deployment stolen from me. You know, you know what I mean. So they were going to, they were going to do that. They were going to throw you down there what for six months, and you're going to miss it, or even a year. How long? Yeah, how long are your? Yeah, when we when we deployed, it was six, six month months deployments. Okay. We were going to. I was just going to go to Southcom instead, and I was like, no, negative. Then I don't want to do Spanish. So I went home and told the wife. I said, yeah, uh, you're just going to have to, you know, deal with my broken Spanish because <laughs> I'm not giving up my my deployment with the guys to Afghanistan. And uh, they said, oh, okay, okay. Well, why don't you go to Pashtun instead? So then I went to Pashtun and learned that oh, and wow. stayed in, obviously stayed in my You're platoon. fucking brilliant, dude. That's a, dude, so I was from Urdu, which is grunts and groans. Pashtun is not an easy, and you learned, how long did you learn it? Did, how long did it take you? So we did a, well, I did like a introductory, so it was three months worth. Man. And then it backed up, you know, it butted right yeah. up to our deployment. Yeah. You get your immersion piece, you typically get another whatever, 45 days of immersion. But shit, you're, you're going, so you're going to be immersing it regardless. You're going to be, because, yeah. wow, wow. And that's how they scheduled it out. So it was great. I mean, you know, you know how the test oh, yeah. ends. Like you finish up your course and you call somebody up in DC and have a conversation mm-hmm. with them. And I was just blown away that I could even, you know, converse at all. And then, of course, you get to Afghanistan and, you know, this valley floor, yeah. I'm, you know, asking all kinds of questions and people are answering me and we're, we're jiving. And then, you know, I pat across the next ridgeline and they look at me like, you know, I got something I, growing up. It's a wholly different dialect. It's like, geez, I, I swear. I, I doesn't, is it Dari? Is it Farsi? Is it Pashtu? What is going on? And this don't speak Pashtu. They speak some, it, it was, I, I honestly, I just like, you know what, where's our language? I fuck this. I'm not even yep. trying get over here, man. And then, Tell me exactly what he, I remember I had to say that every time, exactly word for word, what he's saying. Don't try to change in English. I want to know exactly what, because they would always, 
either embellish it or mess it up and or or paraphrase, paraphrase it and to get the but uh, man still though that's impressive because Pashtu is no I, I learned I learned Dari when I was in Kabul and I thought yep. Pashtu was way harder than that. And and I and honestly I I've lost all of it. It's gone. It's gone. I mean, yeah, but um, but it's amazing that you're able to do that. You're just a super genius, man. I mean, you're you're a no. medic and you learn Pashtu. That's <laughs> come on. You know other operators. I'm not the only one that has called you a super genius before. When you're a medic and you've learned Pashtu, that's pretty freaking impressive, brother. That that is. Um, Jack of all trades, master of. That's right, exactly. That's that's amazing. Um, so hey, you know, go, you know go what I wanted to ask you about as well. Um, like beyond the combat deployments, actually, well, you know, before I even get into it, I, do you have any like really good combat deployment stories? And, and do Brad, we we're not you. If you want to talk about it, if it bothers you, we get it. And believe me, I get it. So, um, we've had Vietnam veterans that try to get into it, and then they can't. Like, okay, stop. We, we're not here to to push any buttons. We, we just, if you want to get something off your chest and our, you know, people, I think they can learn a lot from it. But, yeah. but again, I, I never want to put you in a demon state where you get off and like, fuck now the demons are hitting me. So um, brother, if you have anything great and especially if you can learn from it, people can learn from, it, especially the kids, but if not, no sweat, bro, we, we completely get it. No, I mean, I could, you know, I'll talk to, I'll speak to the, uh, you know, my Afghan deployment a little bit because it was such a different, um, it was just such a different mission that we were doing, right? It was VSO tours. Okay. I'm sure you yep. remember those. Um, and I didn't know what to expect. I knew that the deployment was going to be long. Um, Team 10 had just came back, and I think they did like 11 or 12 months, wow. which for a SEAL, yeah. you know, is a huge, huge deal because we typically do six months. Yeah. And guys bitch about that, you know. And, you know, rightfully so, the op tempo, it's yeah. fast and furious, especially at the peak of the war. So guys definitely need to decompress yeah. and get back home. Um but we were getting ready to go out on the on these village stability operations, and basically it was just presence, right? And that was such a, I think that was such a, um, a shift and, and a stretch for a lot of operators, sure, because we weren't going out and doing DAs, right? We weren't, yeah, kicking indoors. I mean, if you kicked in a door, it was in broad freaking daylight, yeah, that- <laughs> you know, and there was a reason for it. So, you know, I would just say for guys that are going in now and they're um, they're junior and it's all about expectation management, right? Like, you know, what are you, you know, not just what are you willing to do, but what are you expecting your job's going to be? So guys went into that deployment, not fully understanding what their role was. So they, they'd watch too there. many war movies. So they, we're going in to, to, to break hearts and kill everything. And it, it was more of a, a, like I said, presence. It means you're, you're basically on standby, just being in the, in the vicinity, but so no DAs. Yeah, we, we would, well, we would get up every day and we would literally load for bear and just go walk. And you, it was just presence and we would have, you know, circles and we would just continuously expand those okay. and create, create white space, create safe haven. Right. And just try to push Taliban out of the village. Um, I loved it. I didn't, I never had an issue with doing a conventional mission. I just wanted to go to combat. You know what I mean? I didn't, and I see as much value and importance in land warfare as I do. Sure. Uh, a CQC piece and sneaking no. around under night. That is obviously badass, and what we all want to do when you're in, yeah. when you're an operator, or you're at that level. But um, I was equally as appreciative of that deployment. Um, I was a sniper, so I got to finally do. I was able to be on point, That's walk awesome. point, awesome. the entire deployment. It was you know something that I took a, a great deal of uh, 
you know, responsibility and a, and a, a lot of appreciation for having that role. Um, yeah, that deployment enabled me to execute all the things that I had up until then wanted to do. That's all. Awesome. You know what I mean? As far as like rounding out a soldier. That's Because in Iraq, we were obviously doing that. We were going house to house and doing all that other stuff. So this was different. And some guys didn't like that it was different. I did. Um, and I, you know, looking back on it now, I mean, that's where I got the vast majority of my experience, whether it be sniper um, medical, wow. you know, with the combat medic piece, um, just dealing, dealing with partner force. Sure. I mean, when you're living with them, yeah. it's a little different than them showing up at the, at the, at the op center, you know what I mean? At 1700, getting ready for a brief or whatever, when you're, when they're in the, you know, the room next to you behind a mud wall, things become a little, right. a little more serious, yeah. right? Like that, that relationship has to be managed different. Sure. So I learned so much from that deployment. Um, you know, I left, I found out my wife was pregnant with our second child a week before I left and I came home for his birth. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I wow. missed, I missed everything, but you know, thankful, probably a good thing. <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't know Brian missing that stuff, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was just wild. You know, I got a lot out of it. So I just tell them. And, and by the way, I should say for the audience, like, and maybe we'll get into like what your son's doing now with the wrestling and everything, because you even said to me, and I know Chris could relate to this. We were supposed to record this on Friday and or Thursday, and then we moved. And that's why recording on this day. And what you said to me resonates. I know with something yeah. like Chris, where you said, I've missed too much of this stuff to like miss something again. So he's like, you're like, Hey, as much as I'd love to come on the podcast, this nah, is a priority. And that's, like, I, I get that. You, you know what I wanted to ask you though, before I mentioned the combat stuff was just, we always get stories of whether it's guys becoming army Rangers or Delta or, you know, I know I'm not supposed to say Delta, I, <laughs> the unit or what, what you've done. Um, there's always like a different inspiration for why guys want to go into spec ops. And sometimes it's like, I just want to challenge myself physically and mentally, uh, for other guys, like they were athletes in high school, or some of them were troubled in high school. Some of them were picked on like what, what's kind of your origin story of, of what you did and what made you say, I want to be a Navy SEAL. Yeah. Uh, you like this, Chris. So my uncle was a ranger Uh, (laughs) and I heard that my whole life. Okay. Uh, Okay. Um, he was gone. He was a Gulf War okay. vet, and he did, he did I think twenty six years is when he wow. got out. Wow. And um, yeah, growing up, I always heard you know, oh, Uncle Jay's gone. He's off doing this, and he was spent a bunch of time in Kosovo and through all that conflict and everything. And I always respected him. I probably you know I've never actually had this conversation with him. I probably should someday, <laughs> but um, he kind of pushed me away from the army side of things. Otherwise I probably would have went army because I am more of a land animal. Well, (laughs) if you don't like the water, hell yeah, you you are. I mean, but yeah, I, I, I get it. I I get it. I mean, Oh, keep going. Keep going. No, no, you go ahead. So, you know, I hear about my uncle Jay and how cool he is my whole life. And we're up here, you know, in just a little farming community and I wrestled and everything in school. And you have that typical up like rural upbringing, right? Oh, yeah. Boys are boys. They're, you know, BB gun wars in the back barn (laughs) and stuff like that. And you grow up on Rambo and Commando and stuff like that. And I always had that inkling. Like I knew I always wanted to be a soldier of some sort, right? To, To some degree. Um, and then, and I always kind of leaned away from army just because 
I wanted to be different from Uncle Jay. You know what I mean? I wanted to be, I wanted to be the same, but different, if that made sense. And then I, when I got out of high school, I was doing, uh, I was going to college and I was working construction and I was working with a Marine recon guy. And at the time I really wanted to go into the Marine Corps. I wanted to be a, a Marine sniper. So I'm kind of all over the place. Right. And twin, you know, twin towers obviously fell when I was a junior in high school. And I knew without a doubt, like I'm going into the service. It's just a matter of when I, I, it's not even a question. So I'm entertaining my folks, my girlfriend, everything else at the time I'm playing the game, I'm working, going to college, but the whole time I'm training, right? Like the priority is running. It's using the pool at the college it's using the weight room. I'm still going to wrestling practices and stuff like, like I knew what I was working towards. Everybody else thought I was just kind of doing what they wanted, but I wasn't, I was doing what I wanted truthfully. And this Marine recon guy, uh, we're doing construction together and he's really athletic and, uh, he works out a lot. So I start hanging out with him after, after work. Right. And I start telling him, you know, what I really want to do is go be a Marine. And he says, no, you don't. He's like, <laughs> That is the last place you want to go. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I mean, this guy's got the job. He had the job that I wanted, you know? And he says, you want to be a SEAL. He's like, have you ever, you know, read anything or heard anything about these guys? And I said, uh, yeah, obviously, you know, I, I know what they are and yada, yada. And he says, well, let me put you in contact with my brother-in-law. He goes, uh, he was a SEAL. He's out now, but I think he would, uh, I think he'd like, you know, leave an impression on you for sure. I said, all right, cool. You know, it's no big deal. And he said, I just don't think you belong in the Marine Corps. Like you don't strike me as the kind of guy that's going to have a high and tight and <laughs> your boots are always going to be shine. Like you kind of are a little bit, a little rebellious. Right. Um, so just, just entertain this conversation. Well, I get on the phone with this guy and he's like, Hey, I just want to clear the air. Like I got booted out of the Navy. I punched my commanding officer in the mouth. And I was like, Oh my God, this might be the place for me. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious, man. Instead of unruly and, you know, ruthless. I had, kn- I had known the whole story between the UDTs and, you know, Kennedy using these guys yeah. to fill a need and, you know, a, a missing piece of the Vietnam War and everything. So I always loved that origin story. And, but that was kind of, I know that's long and long wind. No, no, great. We love it. No, that's, I, I, but, and you know, if we were both smart, yeah. though, we would have joined the PJs, dude. If we knew it, we didn't know. We, <laughs> we would have went there and had all the, all the nice things to live in and live it and can be whatever we want to be. I, I still remember flying my first time I met a PJ. We were doing a training, just a training up. We were jumping in season airfield, uh, Mountain Home out there in Boise. And oh, oh yeah. And, and I looked and I'm, I'm a young guy. I was just an E4. I, I, I think I'd even been to ranger school yet. So I'm really just a private more or less an E4 private, um, a specialist private and looking at it and seeing this guy, he's got all these cool gadgets. So this is before we, everybody had the cool gadgets. So he's got all these things, how to change his radio. And he, he, you know, he doesn't look like us. His hair is long. We're supposed to have high enticement. And I remember going, hey, who the fuck are you? dude?" He goes, oh, I'm air force. I'm, I'm PJ, man. I'm, I'm jumping in with you. PJ. And then he had a buddy that was a combat controller on the other side. And he's got all these cool guys gear. And, he, you know, they've got these little the little IR lights are lighting up, putting the runway. They're about that big. And they just look I, – I mean, I'm, you know, I'm a private range battalion. I'm fucking wired tight because I got to be. And if I'm not, my, I'm going to get my ass smoked up after we jump in. And these guys are so relaxed. And I'm just looking going, why the? how did I not know about these guys when I, when I signed up? Because they were just so chill. And, and then I got to know them at the end and – 
It is. I mean, it's just the, the different different atmosphere. But now knowing what I know as I got older, I'm glad I went to the Ranger Battalion because I, I wanted to be a shooter. And they they as much as PJs and I'm sorry guys, as much as you are you PJs and CCTs out there, I know you you guys carry and you can't shoot, but you're not shooters. That's just not how it is. I'm sorry. You hate me. Send me a hate, hate text or whatever you want. But, but the, the money they had and the first time we ate their chow hall at Fairchild in Spokane. And I felt like I was walking into a, a, an upscale five-star restaurant. I'm like, geez, like, wow. Where, I didn't know about all this, but I, I, if all you guys want to join the air force, join the air force, but I, I you got it. But I agree with you on the seal, but, but you think you would have got booted out of the Marine Corps? If yeah, if you if you're a little rebellious and you're and you are what you are, how long do you think you would have lasted in the Corps? Do you think you would have lasted, man? Because that is regimented. That's fucking oh, Roger. That three bags full. I, yeah, I mean, I remember just being in boot camp thinking, and you know how what a joke. <laughs> boot camp. It's not a joke. I mean, I know it's a a tough time for some people, but like I was expecting, you know, buds. And when you get to boot camp, it's so square. What was tough for me about boot camp was that it was all this, you know, you know, nice creases in your bed sheets and this and that. And yes, sir. No, sir. You know, the thing that I love most about the SEAL teams was everybody was on a, an equal rank. Yeah. You know what I mean? It didn't, if my, my OIC, you know, we called each other by nicknames, <laughs> you know, that you see the, the master chief and he'd, how you doing this morning, brother? You know, it was never, uh, I never felt the rank there. And, you know, my limited time in Fayetteville, you know, oh, you feel the rank oh, yeah. there quickly. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, right? <laughs> you know, get out of your pockets, semen, whatever. And you're like, I'm actually a petty officer. You know, they're just, it's just all this kind of crap that goes on. And I, I quickly realized that, you know, I had made the right decision going the route I did, you know, being a SEAL just because of the freedom, the autonomy it gave me. And, um, yeah, I, I would not have handled the, the core very well. Yeah. I respect the shit out of those guys. I love them yeah. to death. Um, uh, but it was not, would not have been a good place for me. I needed some freedom. Oh, man. That is the thing that I think sets the SEAL teams apart just from guys that I've interviewed. And, and it does seem to be why I know like the running joke is SEALs being authors and all that, but, but SEALs in general, owning their own businesses and that type of thing. I think that individuality is what makes them who they are. Um, you know, it's another question I wanted to ask you as someone with that lineage, with that history, with the SEAL team, with SEAL Team 6 and all that. Um, a guy I, I had the uh, honor to interview and meet a couple of times. I was wondering uh, if you had any comments on on the pretty recent death of uh, Dick Marcinko. I mean, older guy, you know, not a tragedy by any means or anything like that. But uh, I think for anybody who's been in the SEALs, they have a lot to say about Dick Marcinko. Yeah, I mean, I think I'd be lying if I didn't say he... Uh... He definitely encouraged me his books. You know, I, I mean, he's the when we the guys that came in around that era. When you think about SEAL Team Six, you think about Dick Marcinko. Like you, you think of him. Whether it was in, you know, I know his books were embellished and this and that and fictional, and it was he was just a great storyteller. But I mean, he was there. You know what I mean? Like people still they some people forget that he actually was there. You know what I mean? And he put on the stump muster. He's where it all began. Um, so he had a huge, you know, huge effect on me, even if it was all just kind of kind of storytelling. Bravado. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> yeah, bravado. Exactly. But I, yeah, I, when we when we lost him, that was huge, huge loss to the community for sure. And I think everybody would agree with 
agree with that. You know, no, I, I we, Rangers know Marchenko is too, Dick, Dick Marchenko, and but you're right. I, that's amazing because he he was he, he he may have embellished, but he did do some shit. And and you're right when you start it when you're the start you started this shit. Yeah, I think you probably earned every every bit of the respect that that you should be given, regardless if you embellished a few things here or there because. I'm sure there were things out there that he didn't even talk about as well that that he couldn't talk about that yeah. guys would be like, wow, I, I could never have done that. Holy shit, you you are an animal, which he was. I know he even was. Um, um, yeah, and I think you still see some of it in the teams today. Yeah. A little bit, of him. you know what I mean? Like I still, <clears throat> I still see Dick Marcinko and the guys today. You know, you can tell that he definitely um, had a. Uh, made an impact on yeah. the community, an entire generation of, of operators right now. Amazing. So. Amazing. It's kind of like how, how Rangers see Colonel Darby. Like, and Colonel mm-hmm. Darby was extremely regimented. I mean, we are, no, I don't know anymore though. Maybe they, they get where they get have long hair now. Those sorry sacks so you guys. You, and, and But it's still, you know, of course, Ranger Battalion, we're not as regimented as the, as the Marine Corps, but it still is very regimented. And I think it does come back from the guys like, Frank Merrill, uh, Merrill's Marauders, and, and Colonel Darby, and and that's who I learned. You know, talking. That's who I read, and, and then yep. I was like, "Wow, these guys are incredible." Um, going because you did end up. Can we can we say Dev Grew now, or since we said six, or I'll get in trouble for that. Can we can we say both now or not? You can say whatever you I, want. Yeah. It, yeah, I've already said them both. But so. I after any after you know you did your time doing. When did you? Because you did go over. If I'm correct, you did jump and get over to 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 Damnick, right? Yeah, I did. I screened in uh, 2013. So I got picked up. What was? I mean, were you just like, okay, I've done everything. This is the next step, or is this? It's always been this step. This is that's your pinnacle that you wanted to reach from when you first joined, correct? Or it was something that. You're like, okay, I did this. Where can I even improve or get better or do what I, I need to move to the next level? Was it while you were actually serving with uh, on on the uh, on one of the East Coast teams? Yeah, well, well, now everybody knows, right? Like, if you go into Buds today, you know what SEAL Team sure. Six is, and everybody thinks, you know, that's their end state. I'm sure, just like a a kid playing college football or, or high, you know what I mean? A, a star high school player thinks I'm going to go to college and one day I'm going to play in the pros. Like I'm, I assume that's how kids, young guys today feel going into the Navy. When I went in, I didn't know shit about it outside of the books I read from Dick Marcinko. <laughs> right. So I really didn't, didn't know what happened at that command, what went on there. You know what I mean? I was, I was really concerned just about getting my ass to the SEAL teams <laughs> And getting through that pipeline and not worrying about anything else. But when I was there, we did have a couple of guys that, you know, you'd hear like, oh, he's from so-and-so. He's from here. He's from there. Um, Andy Stump was one of my instructors. And Andy was a – I fucking loved Andy. You know, he probably doesn't even remember my name, but – he always treated me really well in, in second phase. Did you see him at Shot Show? He was not far from where we were. No, I didn't because I was, you know, I was playing the dual role between Kuyu oh, yeah, and Otanis. So I was boogieing over to Mandalay Bay for Safari Club because that went on the same week. Oh, okay. So there were a bunch of guys. I bumped into a few, but um I didn't see Andy while he was there. I wanted to catch up with him. Um but yeah, so I knew a little bit about that command, right, and what they did when I was in training. But your priority is, you know how it is, Chris, like you're yeah. just so dialed in the, the next task at hand, the next evolution that 
I just didn't think about it. I didn't give it a second thought until I got over there and I did my first deployment. Okay. When I did my first deployment and we ripped into Baghdad, we were partnered up um, with the army equivalent, right? Yeah. We were over there. You could those you guys. could say unit. I'll say D. You're with the you're with the D boys. You're you're freaking yeah. Kidding. So yeah. They were one strike force and we were the other strike okay. force, and we would just go out every night and they would get their stuff and we'd pick up their scraps basically because they got the yeah the good shit, at the time, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm at, uh, um, but one. When I was doing operations with those guys, I was like, oh, shit, they do things a little bit different there, right? And then that got me thinking about, well, we have we have this here. You know yeah, what yeah. I mean? Maybe I should look into that. So, And I knew a couple guys that had left and went over there and screened and a couple that had made it. So I just started emailing those guys saying, hey, you know, thinking about um, coming over to the command, you know, what do you think? And they – said, sure. You know, some of them are like, yeah, yeah, I'd love to help you in any way you need or anything you want. And other guys are just kind of like, fuck you, no, no. <laughs> you know, I'm dealing with my own shit here and I don't, I don't have time for it, which is fine. Um, but I came back from, uh, Iraq and I basically decided I wanted to do that. So after my first deployment, I decided I want to go over to the command. Um, I'm going to put in a package. I'm going to get, you know, back into that buds shape, Right. That that psyche of being, yeah. you know, head down, going through the wall kind of deal. Um, and I just started training really hard. And I told my wife that I wanted to do it. And she was kind of like, yeah. what the fuck? You know, we just I feel like we just got settled. You're no longer a new guy. So the bullshit. Yeah. Like the new guy games are over. They're never they're, they're um, never over. I tell guys they're never over, guys. I'm telling you until you make general of the army or you make the sec def or you the new guy things are always, I just want to point that out because everybody thinks they're always, they, yeah. they never end, never fucking end. You're always a, you're always a new guy. <laughs> always a new guy. I've never not been a new guy. Um, even now, like the, yeah, I'm the new guy. We just moved. I'm the new guy here in town again. You know, it's always the same shit over and over. You trying to build your, build your, uh, your cred, yeah. right? Yeah. Which is good. I guess it keeps us sharp, but so I came home and I told her, I was like, Hey, I want to do this. And she's like, what the fuck? You know, you're telling me the same week that you're doing a deployment to Afghanistan. It might be up to a year. <laughs> you're going to this language school. You're doing this, you're doing that. And now you're telling me you also want a screen to go over the dev group. And I said, yep, that's <laughs> what I'm telling you. And she goes, okay, so that's where we're going. I'm like, well, it's not that easy. <laughs> you got to get selected. And then you go through another training pipeline, you know, which is basically the better part of a year. And and so we also have to choose another place to go because after my second deployment, I'm up for orders. So I actually got issued two sets of orders. I got one to go screen okay. and then I had another set to go to Kodiak, Alaska. I was going to be the LPO out there. Wow. And she was a traveling therapist. So she really wanted to go to Alaska. And I actually got picked up for that billet. And uh, I remember I came home, I was home for deer season and I had, I just got my email like, Hey, you got picked up for green team and you got picked up for Kodiak, Alaska. Which one do you want? And I was like, I, my dad was in the truck with me and I didn't even skip a beat. I was like, well, looks like we're not going to Alaska. <laughs> and he said, Oh, when are you going to tell Maritza? You know, I, I was, oh, yeah. I'll probably wait till I get home. I'm not going to call her, you know? So but she was good. I mean, she's been through a lot with me, but that's kind of how I ended up uh, getting selected over there. And then, you know, once training starts, it's just go, go, go. And I think I 
I mean, I prepared. I'm kind of OCD like that. I mean, I had, you know, my house was taped off, masking tape on the walls and the doorways and everything and airsoft guns. I mean, my my daughter will tell you, like, you know, I'm proud. Well, I'm not the only household in Virginia Beach. In Virginia yeah. Beach, there's a ton of households like that. But, you know, the kids are on the couch watching SpongeBob and me and my buddies are clearing the house with airsoft guns. You know what I mean? <laughs> Getting ready because we just knew that it was so much more technical. Sure than it was physical. Yeah. Um, you got to be physical, but at the end of the day, the guys that end up there, talent is just fucking through the roof. It's incredible. Um, and then also you got the money to go with yeah. it. You got the support to go with it. Like I always, I always joke, you know, first day there I had to go, uh, I had to go get some communications equipment or something. And I could have swore the guy literally just dropped all the shit that was in his hand. He was like, what do you need? And he just dropped everything he had and he, and he went and got it, you know, like the support there, they make that place go around. So it was, it was cool. And they took care of me up until I left. You know what I mean? Like you treat people well, I've always said that you treat people right. They'll treat you well in return. Um, and when you marry all of that up, <laughs> the talent, yeah, the egos, right. The like, we are the best like that they they do have big egos but they they have to have it you know what i mean to do that job and uh and then you have the assets the support personnel like it just makes a really incredible thing i I think i honestly every we all every every unit in socom has egos man you i mean to to say that just because it's well known out there as far as with civilian world, with movies and stuff. And now we can't even say that now. Now it used to be the Charlie Sheen movies and oh, the seals got the biggest egos. Ah, they, every damn unit has, I got a fucking ego. I, I come on. I, it, and, but it's necessary. The, the, the wonderful thing with the egos with the most part of it is that yes. And this is where I learned from, from serving with these units and then going to the agency and working with GRS and, and, partnering with some of the ground branch guys that we're all is that you learn how to put those egos aside when the mission comes up. It's like, fuck it. Okay. We got egos everywhere, but we got to get this job done. So we're not going to argue. And again, I, I never, I never saw anybody arguing with each other on a mission ever in Ranger Battalion. And then even with GRS, when I was with doing the state department shit in the beginning with the Bremer details and stuff, I, yeah, I mean, I saw fist fights with guys in training that disagreed from different units. I mean, it was stupid. It was ridiculous. There was no control at all, but it, it really was that. And I learned, that's where I learned that you can have a fucking ego, but you can still be a great part of a team and you can still have a winning team. As long as you put those egos aside when it's time to fucking move forward and it's time to time to get the job done, then you can come back and, call each other bitches and, and fight each other and, 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 you know, and that's fine. But when the mission starts, it's time to roll. And, and I, that was a big thing I learned just from guys working with guys like yourself where, yeah, we don't all get along, but fuck. Yeah. It's time to go. Let's shut up. Did you, did you think you were going to have that when you, you know, no. end up with Rowan and all no, because, no, no, because the misnomer is, and when I do my talks to corporations, I tell them, I said, there's a big misnomer that you think we all get along. That's farthest from the truth. And I said, I didn't know that till I got in. And then, yeah, close the squad door. We got a problem. Let's fight the shit. And you'd see fights for guys because arguing over stupid shit. <laughs> but I, oh, yeah. And I, I think guys who are a little bit more involved in the community, like guys like me who are civilians, but they've met enough guys. I don't think. Well, you, you, but you, or even guys who just listen or even guys who just listen to podcasts like these. I mean, 
you know, our friends at the team house. It's kind of well known. Like, I don't think Jack Murphy really likes seals. <laughs> he pretty much never has seals on the team house. Like, I, and I know there's a lot of seals who don't like army right. You know, like, it's, 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 I, I don't think even, it's a misnomer. But even with, it's crazy, even within but yeah. the teams, though, you, you don't have guys that get get along. I I dealt with it that I, I saw it as a positive way because then you get get different opinions. And then there's time where that leader has to step in and say, okay. Shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. I don't give a shit about your opinion. Let's get moving on this job. And that's when the great leaders would step in. They'd let it go because they want to hear everybody's opinion because there might be something popping out of it. But when it's time to roll, that leader needs to step in. And I learned that from having tremendous squad leaders. I could step in and say, shut up, shut up. Got it. All right. I hear y'all, but this is what the fuck we're doing. And you better get it done. And guys would just turn that switch on and they get the job done. And then they come back and get drunk together or whatever and, and fight and, you know, either hate each other for a little while, fight it out, then start bro hugging. You know, you know, the deal. I, I don't know. What did you, yeah. yeah. What did you see as far as when you got on, when you're with the teams and, and how did you see that, man? Oh, same, same shit. I mean, it's, there's, there's so much drama, <laughs> you know what I mean? But, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. And the internet doesn't help things, right? It's like no, yeah, I would, the internet, people drag all this stuff onto Instagram and Facebook. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's terrible. I mean, the drama is high, but like you said, Chris, I mean, guys still, you know, they put their kid on and yeah. they they go to work. You know what I mean? And guys, you would never think there's a problem within that, exactly. that unit, right? It's cohesive. I mean, guys are, you're reading off body language, yeah. for Christ's yeah. sake. You know what I mean? Like you can look over and just see a guy's nods dip and know exactly what he's thinking and what, where he's headed, you know? Yeah. So to work that closely with people, you're going to be, you're going to be at each other's throats, you know? And I heard a master chief say uh, once over there at the command, he was like, you know, if everybody likes you, you're doing something, something wrong. Yep. I've heard that. He goes, you should not be, you know, everybody's favorite because that means you're appealing to every single personality in the room, right? Like, Half the people here should fucking hate you. If they don't, <laughs> you're doing something wrong. He's like, how he goes, how would you appeal to every single personality? Yeah. Right? Like you can't. And it takes all different kinds. Like, yeah, we have that cookie cutter guy for sure. You know, we all kind of have the same thing going on, but you know, internally we don't like everybody's got their own shit. You got surfers, hunters, skydivers, you, you know, you got all these different personalities kids that grew up in the you know the projects kids that like me grew up in the middle of the country farming like that's just people are we're too different yeah and we especially 9-11 brought all those people together so to think they're going to be under one roof yeah not- <laughs> yeah no I, and i always say on the show too like the military is not a monolith i think people always think you guys are someone going to agree on foreign policy with uh gender stuff in the military and it's never all the same opinion on everything i, I know that we're going along here i wanted to make sure we get to two last things one of which was you know our friends at photonist defense i was wondering how you got hooked up with phil otto and um and how you like working with them and, and also KUIU. Yeah. So yeah, actually KUIU. Well, I'll back it up. I got invited via a uh, tactical paramedic okay. down in Detroit, Michigan to go out to Connecticut for the SWAT challenge. Okay. So I went out there for the Connecticut SWAT in Hartford. Um, and I was just going to be a VIP speaker They're They're like, Hey, we've asked these other people. We don't have any money this year. Everybody wants, I'm not, I'm not going to name drop, but some of the bigger names in the soft industry 
were requesting some stupid amounts of money to go out there for this SWAT challenge. And they were doing this, you know, to raise money for the, the SWAT teams on the East coast, basically the Eastern seaboard. And I said, yeah, I was like, of course I'll come out and speak. I don't care. You know, and I know this guy and we do jujitsu a little bit together and this and that, and he's been a good friend and he sent folks up my way that, you know, do some shooting with me and everything. So I thought, what the hell I'll, I'll give back. I don't mind making the trip. I'll go out to Connecticut. Well, as it developed, I said, uh, they said, Hey, we'll pay your room and board and this and that. And I said, Hey, don't worry about it. I said, why don't you just let me bring my company out? Because they have a vendor show there. I said, I, well, not my company, but the company I work for. I, I'm a director for Kuyu, the, you know, K-U-I-U. Um, that's how we say it is Kuyu. And uh, they said, yeah, bring the, bring the truck and trailer and your full inventory and let's, yeah, you can set it up and then do your speaking event and work the booth or whatever. And I said, oh, I'm not going to work the booth. I got guys to do that. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'd love to bring them out with me. So we did. And when we set up, we were right next to Fatanas and Phil, which I know, Ian, you you spoke with Phil. Um, and we just hit it off and we started chatting. And, you know, he's prior Marine and this and that. And we start bullshit. And I said, uh, he's like, well, where are you from originally? And I said, well, I live up in Michigan. Yes. Yeah, I, I'm from Michigan. I'm like, really? And we start chatting. Well, shit, he comes up to Higgins Lake, which is like 15 miles from my house right here and ice fishes every year. And we just start chatting and hitting it off. And I didn't really think anything of it. I did. I did my piece. I spoke at the commander's conference and a couple different things that week. Um, got back home and Phil, you know, shot me a message. and He was like, hey, you know, I'm headed out to SHOT Show. I don't know if Kuyu goes out to SHOT Show or not. And, you know, I know it's not a, you know, consumer-based show, but um, I'd love to have you out there in some capacity and, you know, pay your way. And you could you could kind of pitch Kuyu and help us out at Photonis. And I said, yeah, of course, man. For me, I just looked at it as a networking thing. You know what I mean? For both for myself and for Kuyu, just getting our name out there and seeing us in the tactical space and, linking up with guys. I knew I'd bump into a bunch of people that I knew and you know how I'm standing there in the booth and I didn't even know another guy from the command was going to be out there uh, contracting as well. You know what I mean? And I spent the whole week with him. I haven't caught up with him in years since I left. So it was just a really cool, cool event and, you know, cool way that it came about. So, but I love those guys over there. I mean, Phil's awesome and yeah. met the whole crew and they all, you know, they're all very, they're all very different, but uh, oh yeah, I don't know. They they just they get after it for sure. So and they do. Oh, they're great. I you know I've worked with Phil for worked luckily luckily with him and rode around with that for and he is he's just a big old I call it, you're just a big old farmer, dude. You're big old. He's, yeah. he's I said you're fat now, which you weren't back in the day, but you're still. I said you got and, and you're no quit he's, eating. I said quit eating all that <laughs> quit eating all that corn and whatever. Yeah, let the audience corn, know, corn, it's like corn, big fat. Don't give me shit later, man. But. <laughs> it's it's hard and that's the same thing it's hard not to to help phil or work with companies that he he believes because phil's phil's been and phil's been in the sales game forever within the tactical world so he knows the deal and and it was it was great when he when he mentioned you know hey we got another seal coming in I'm like fuck yeah that's awesome this is great because yeah. hey and because you got and you guys know the panoramic you know the four bangers better than better than we do and um it's like, yeah, you, you really need them because I can't talk eloquently on the four bangers because we had, you know, we were using tens and fifteens. That was our big deal. It's like, holy shit, what do you mean I can get rid of these fourteens and I actually I'm gonna get a splitting headache? You're gonna give me a ten. But it was great. And I think you add completely even more so legitimacy to Photonis because of your 
you're because of what, who you are and who you serve with. And, 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 you know, you're, you know what the fuck you're talking about, brother. So I was, I was all for it. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know. But you're right. I, and I do love them down there, but you're right. They're completely, but that's the beauty of it. The personalities that are all down at the booth. Um, uh, could you tell people more? Again, I want people to get involved with it. I know we're going long, but this is, this is kind of your platform. If people want to get involved or what they with uh, or want to see your companies or do anything, want to purchase anything from it, just this is your this is your pedestal, brother. What, you know, tell us. Okay. A lot of people yeah. don't know. They don't know a lot about yeah, Kuyu. Yeah, I didn't know how much I would plug them. But plug them. Plug them the fuck away. This is shameless promotion. Do it. Plug them. <laughs> I don't even know if they want it. But uh, <laughs> uh, well, just an interesting you know, again, like all these connections and these these uh, friendships and relationships that we build, they always happen out of something odd, but but naturally, you know what I mean? So I'm up here, I got out of the Navy and I came up here and I was finishing out my bachelor's degree and I'm doing jujitsu in Traverse City and I get confronted by this guy and he's like, hey, you know, my dad owns a body armor company or he did. It was second chance body armor okay. And he says, uh, he's like, we're out of Central Lake, Michigan. I'd love to, you know, hang out with you, buy you dinner sometime or this or that. And I said, he seemed like a good guy, Matt Davis. And I, I said, yeah, sure. What the hell? Let's let's link up. So I start hanging out with this guy. We start shooting. Turns out he's a big three gun guy um, and he's got a ton of property and he's got steel as far as the eye can see and all these ranges set up. So I start shooting out there and we just became really good friends. And about a year and a half into it, he says, hey, I'm a board member for this company called Kuyu. And they're looking at moving east of the Rocky Mountains and uh, getting into some different marketplaces and just expanding the company. And I'd really like to put you in front of them. I think you'd be great with, obviously, your background with research right, and development. So can we maybe you know, put, put you guys together and connect? And I said, sure. And it turned into this, this job. I thought it was going to be more of a consulting gig. And then it turned into a full-time job. Um, and what I do is I basically, I'm a, I'm a director for the field sales team and I've got different teams across the country. We've got one in Texas, one up here in the great lakes, and we're standing up another one in PA and they travel around to different archery shoots and trade shows and just kind of pitch our product. And we're, you know, it's an ultralight hunting company. So born in the mountains, obviously sheep hunting, um, but we're moving into the whitetail market. We're trying to just get visibility in different spaces, both hunting and just outdoors in general. We make packs, tents, clothing, and also we're trying to get into a little bit of the tactical space. So, you know, to bring it back to, to Phil, you know, being out there in shot show, Phil kind of, he tied together a lot of things, right? Like now there's a whole bunch of people on the East coast that are considering, you know, getting That's Kuyu involved in their stuff, and their warehouses and everything, because they're, you know, solids can be worn on the battlefield. Like, you know, I, I was wearing Arteryx, Patagonia, all this different stuff. I tried to actually to stay out of camo, you know what I mean? For the most part, you know how that oh, is, yeah. especially when you're trying to be discreet. So um, there's a big market that so i'm just trying to get get kuyu in front of that group of folks That's but awesome. it's a great company you know it's it's all direct consumers so we don't have third third party people taking little slices of the pie um it keeps our you know the ability to to purchase high quality textiles up and and uh make performance gear for hunters so that's that's awesome and, and just in terms of photonesis chris was saying you know you really are an expert in that area 
Uh, how did you feel when you saw their night vision for the first time? Because they're really doing stuff that is totally innovative in that market. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, just the, well, for one, the weight yeah. blew my mind. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're so lightweight. Um, and then clarity wise, I mean, the panos, it was as good as anything I've ever worn. You know, we, he gave me a set to wander around and play with outdoors and whatnot up here. And uh, I was blown away. I, I love panos. <laughs> I like being able to have that field of vision. I don't, I think from an operator standpoint, um, you know, being, being as tactile and being able to make little micro movements with your helmet guys are always watching for that dip. You know what I mean? Barrel waves and stuff like that. Like everything is really subtle. And I always felt restricted on binos, especially a mono. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, to, to look over and see what your buddy's doing. You had to do do exaggerated movements. It was, and you had to know the difference between that exaggerated movement or is he, is that an indicator that he's going in? And it was, it it made it, it made it harder. We did it, but you're exact, you're spot on, man. And that's why those, those panos. Wow. Where the fuck were these when I needed it? But I keep going. I, I, I'm, I'm with you, man. I completely agree. Yeah. They're just, they're incredible. Especially you start talking about getting under canopy and everything. I mean, you know, you're not dealing with your, your night vision hitting your risers, trying to look around and see everybody. And you know how it is, just shits everywhere. So um, I love their product and their product performs second to none, you know, hands down. Cisa, don't take Tano's word for it. If you don't like Ranger <laughs> or Tano, you can take Justin's, Dev Crew <laughs> Justin's word for it too. So fuck you guys that doubted me out there. Screw it. I, I told you, I told you. <laughs> But I, I agree. And, I, but Phil, I, I, Phil would never, I know Phil did all the due diligence before he called me. I, I just know Phil and I've worked with him and Phil rode, rode vehicles with him where it's just me and him. And Phil wouldn't steer me wrong. Phil doesn't do that to make a buck. He never done that. No. You know? But yeah, that's why I said, hell yeah, bring Justin on because a lot of people don't, all they think of Tano, they think of sunglasses and he wrote a couple books. And it's like, so yeah, get somebody else on because you'll get the haters on that don't like, but I, I was, I was, I, I think it was amazing brother. And yeah, the, the, the Kuyu, we've got to check that stuff out. You got tactical shorts. I know, I know for sure you don't have to fight in fatigues. You can fight in shorts. That's possible. I know. You can fight in you, shorts for, for sure. sure. We got a little bit of something. We got something for everyone. <laughs> all right. I got to get, get some of your shorts then, man. If, if, if you get, That's all. but um, brother, I, yeah, well, the last I want to okay, make sorry, sure you one sorry, last sorry, thing sorry, in sorry. here. I don't know if Chris no, 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 has anything no, else, sure. but I, I know that you have a jujitsu yeah. academy opening April fourth. Uh, definitely plug that or anything else you want to get into and and what you got coming up. Yeah, no, I I appreciate you bringing that up. Um, yeah, so obviously in the SEAL teams, jujitsu is huge, right? Between Jocko and I know Rain, you know, believe it or not, a Ranger is the first one that basically oh, yeah. showed me well that's yeah that's no. what when i was in that was we were going sending guys down to the gracie facilities to that was the big thing was was jujitsu was was ground fighting and actually we had gracie's brother horatio would come up and we have we call them con skills you guys call you know where you do your you go you do your different areas i then that's where i got picked instead of going to do gracie stuff i got picked to go through scout swimmer <laughs> thanks nice thanks guys but Damn. yeah, but Gracie Jiu-Jitsu was, was, was humongous. That's all we did for combatives when I was at battalion. It was the biggest thing at the time. And how blessed I was to get actually cross-trained by the Gracies. It's like, holy shit. But you don't think about yeah. it at the time. But yeah, go ahead, but I'm sorry. Yeah, no, we, yeah, when I showed up first thing in Fayetteville at the Kennedy Center there, a ranger invited all the, all of us SEALs in for the morning for combatives. And um, 
I wrestled in high school and then a bunch of my buddies that I was in, you know, went through the program, the training pipeline with, they were wrestlers and a couple of them were college wrestlers. So everybody has obviously the egos there, right? Guys think they're tough. And now we got the, you know, the army equivalent of us is like, oh, you guys should come in for combatives. (laughs) Let's, uh, let's go in there and tune these guys up. Well, uh, one of my buddies got called out right out of the gate, and this ranger, he snapped. He told us to wear our BDUs, and he snapped all the buttons off this kid's BDU blouse and was choking him with his BDU top. And I was like, holy fuck. And he said, everybody's wearing a uniform, and they can be choked with it. And I was just like, okay, I'm sold. <laughs> so over the years, you know, over the over the 13 years I was in, like I just kind of dabbled, right? I did a little bit of Muay Thai, a little bit of Jiu-Jitsu. You know how it is. You're being sure. pulled in so many different directions. You can't ever be fully consistent with one. But we've got a guy in Virginia Beach, Gustavo Machado, and yeah. he's been coming in, Wow, you know, yeah. for, for 22 years. He's been coming in to the command teaching SEALs, right? I mean, he's lost – He's lost more friends than I have because he's been such, he's so steeped in that community. You know what I mean? Over the years. And, um, when I got out of the Navy, I felt a little detached, a little bit of a loss of identity there. I, I thought, you know, what the, what am I going to do to kind of retain some of that, who I was? Um, so I started doing jujitsu again. I took maybe a year and a half off and I got back into it and I said, you know what, being, in it, into it is not enough. Like just rolling on the mats a couple times a week, I need to be a bigger part of it. So I reached out to him and I said, Hey, Gustavo, you know, it's been a little bit, but you know, I'm up here in Northern Michigan. Um, I want to come down quarterly and keep training with you and this and that. And he's like, Oh, of course my brother, you know, he's a little, little Brazilian guy and welcomed me and my family. I got my wife and my kids into it. So they're the whole, the whole family does it. It's a, that's awesome. It's not a question. It's not, it's not whether you're going to go, everybody goes. Um, and that turned into, you know, I'd really like you to open a, a gym, you know, he's got almost 20 affiliates. So, your, so you're fall underneath his, his moniker, you fall underneath his, wow. That's yep. That's, so we'll be under his lineage. Wow. Okay. Right? Thank so, you. Thank you. Wow. Yep. And, and he opened the very first, uh, Gracie Baja school in America when he came over. So, you know, his, I mean, you know, Gustavo, he's steeped in lineage. Yes. Uh, and I just got back from Brazil with him. I was there for 12 days with him and did a little, a little fight camp kind of leaning up leading up to the gym opening. So yeah, next Monday class is open here in Grayling, Michigan. First Gustavo Machado affiliate north of Richmond, Virginia. Wow. Should be a, should be a big deal. He's going to be coming up doing seminars and I'll continue obviously to go down there and train and hopefully we can get together a comp team and everything else. He's been, you know, just huge support. And obviously anytime lets anyone lets you carry their name on your back is a, yeah. a big deal. You know what I mean? So it means a lot to to me and my family. And I've obviously got my fingers in a lot of different pots here, but uh, idle minds are not, not good for guys like us. And I don't, idle hands. Definitely. And the, the, the idle hands are the devil's tools or so. It, it's true. It's true. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, <laughs> I get through a lot of the devil's playgrounds and I finally got it figured out to not be in there, but you're an entrepreneur. And that's, that's, I think that's what most veterans, especially special operations guys, that's, they look at finding one thing like, guys, don't be an entrepreneur. Get your hands into everything that again, that keeps not necessarily that same adrenaline, but it keeps you busy. And when you succeed at them, it makes you feel good. I succeeded. All right. This mission. OK, I got to get this. Mission. That's why I did. I, I'm not going to write any more books because the last one felt like a felt like a doing a, a paper. But 
that's why I did the books. That's why I did the speaking. That's why I teach. That's why we have the foundation. And it's why when somebody asked me to do a vodka, sure, let's do it. I mean, yeah, I'm going to get shit for it. I don't care. A lot of people are going to like it. Some are going to not. So what? This is fun. And the hair. And the gel, oh, and I got, and awesome. I got that. I love see, the hair. I got, gel. I don't even know. I got better now, hair gel it. than Seal Team Six. I mean, I got, look at my hair. My hair is better than any Seal. <laughs> I'm going to give you guys. It shit. really is good. I got some I, nice. I got it and I was impressed. I smelled it. I was like, this is and, really and, good. And it's an infantry guy from 10th Mountain Division. I was like, fuck, do you want to do hair? It's like, hell yeah, brother. Let's do it. And, yeah. it, but that's why, that's why you do it. It's, it, it is. It's exciting to do all that and it keeps you busy. And it puts food on the table. And every once in a while, it puts a lot of food on the table. And every once in a while, it doesn't. But that's what the fun of it is. It's just, it's not vanilla. And that's why amazing that you're, you're doing that. And uh, we want to push everybody over to that we can. So, dude, whatever you need for us, we'll get people over to you. Because they need to learn from you. Not just the fighting side, your philosophical side. You've got a great philosophical philosophical. Uh, philosophical mindset. Thank you. That's like five syllables. I can't do more than that. But <laughs> your outlook on life, man, is, is, is extremely positive. And I know you've been through some shit and I know you go through stuff and that's why you have your wife. That's why my you know family, but you're also, you know, you, you have, a, you're still optimistic, extremely optimistic. And you put your family first. I get that, man. I, my first son was born. I saw him. I was gone for seven months. And then I came back for a month and I was gone again for, I get that. And I do have that feeling of same thing. Damn. Cause I have a six year old now, but I don't remember my 17 year old when he was one through about six, I, I see pictures and I'm like, damn, I don't remember that. It is, it is hurtful, but see, that's the thing is people can learn from you because they see, and you're still smiling, even though you have some of those pains in there and those scars, I'm getting over them. I'm dealing with them. I got them. This is how you need to do it to overcome those little, little pains that we have that we're always going to have. So what? Oh yeah. Let's, 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 yeah. let's live here and now and see how we can be positive and happy and still be successful. And, and you're doing it, man. And, and so amazing. You're, you're, you're amazing, dude. And you are brilliant, dude. Posh too, and a medic and say what you want. You're fucking super genius. I don't care. You're- I appreciate that. I'll take it for today. I'll be my compliment for 20. <laughs> well, I, I got nothing else. Yeah. I, I think this, this was awesome. No, that was, was great. Awesome. Huge. Thanks for coming on. And, and where could people find you? Where could people get involved with the jujitsu Academy? What's the best place? Yeah. Um, well, they can, they can reach me at, Right now, we're going to do Gustavo Machado Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, grayling.com. Okay. So that'll be the website. Um, I'll I'll post some other stuff. I don't know. Maybe I'll just reach out to you, Ann, and you can tag it or yeah. something like that. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's what we'll do. Stuff. Just just give us all the stuff to post that when you, once you got everything set up. Yeah, and we'll, we'll, we'll throw it out there, too. And um, Perfect. Absolutely. Yeah, right. And uh, yeah, I, amazing. I, I loved your story about Roan because I, I heard horror stories about Roan, and I – I, I never, I, he was like, a, he was like a father figure really was. He's the only guy I got. One, okay. Before you, I got one story. I got one story. I was, okay. All right. <laughs> this was how it was. This was two weeks before, before we got hit. And um, our team leader left. So they brought an assistant team leader in and he was, a, he was a white soft. He was, a, he was a team, regular team guy. He was a vanilla. I, he was from team eight. I think it was, but he was a tool, just a tool. Uh, and I was at that time, I, I was, I was pretty salty. I'd been contracting for at that for 10 years at that point, been through, and I knew I wasn't going to get fired. You know, fuck you. You guys are going to fire me. Well, 
I remember Boone, we were doing this room clearing and I went through D, I, not, nothing. I went through Dieter's training. I went through some CQD stuff. I mean, you, you know, some of that stuff. And, and I thought oh, some yeah. of it was, but I, I'm not a disciple of it. This guy was a CQD instructor. He worked for Dwayne when he wasn't contracting. And so we were doing some room clearing practice just because he thought it was cool. I, I don't know. We're, we're all like, fucking dude, come on. Really? Can I just, I just want to watch my porn in peace. Just leave me alone. But it's like, no, That's let's go do some training today. All right, fuck. All right. He just got in. So he's a, he's basically like this amped up lieutenant that just came in. You got all these salty sergeants around that just want to be left alone. We just want to go home. We're done with this tour. We all extended longer to stay for them. And he we weren't doing the high gun stuff that he wanted us to do. And he looked at Boone. And I've been with Boone forever. Boone's a state, state platoon sniper. We went through Blackwater's training, class first class at Blackwater. So I've known Boone for 10 years. He looks at Boone. He goes, why aren't you doing this high gun stuff? He goes, because I don't like it. We don't care. I don't care if he does it. We, as a team, he's like, well, you need to get up there. He goes, no, I'm not going to do it. And I'm standing next to Boone. And I'm getting fired up for Boone. And I yeah. and I remember looking at him and uh, he goes, if you don't do it, the, 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 the ATL, the assistant team leader that came in from Tripoli, he looks at Boone. He goes, if you don't do this, I'm going to write you up and give you a bad ego. And Boone says, I don't give a fuck. Yeah, we don't care. So it doesn't matter. So he, we basically cut training right there. All of us was like done, done training. Roan basically kiboshed it. He's like, okay, guys, let's, let's just go back to go play Call of Duty. We'll be done with training for the day. I'm like, okay, that's what we wanted anyway. I wouldn't let it go, man. I was fought hothead. I followed this guy over. I'm like, you motherfucker. It's like, you don't talk to fucking this guy like that. You just got here. He's been doing this shit for 10 years. I said, I've been with him in Baghdad and Kabul. He was with me in Kandahar. I said, you leave him the fuck alone. All right. So, and I looked at him and Roan, I didn't know was right there. And I, I don't, wasn't going to punch the guy. I, I maybe it looked like it was, you know, the bravado. I'm, let's get in this fight. Yeah. I was like, Jimmy's like, Jim's like, I want to write you up. I said, fuck you. You can write me up. I've already been written up once because I fell asleep during the ambassador's meeting. I did do that. I felt like, and I was like, <laughs> fuck you, dude. And Roan's, this is Roan. This is how Roan was. He comes right behind me and he just puts his arm around me. He goes, dude, let it go. Just come back. And that's how I remember Roan. It's him just didn't have to say a word. It was just, I heard his voice and he's the voice of reason. It's like Jiminy Cricket going, you don't need to do this. This is a waste of time. Your porn's waiting for you. Get back to your room. <laughs> he puts his arm around me and he says, dude, just let it go. I'll deal with this. And I walked back to my room and I still was stewing. And I actually, 30 minutes later, I walked into his room. I, I actually sat down. I'm like, man, I'm getting angry. I can't let this go. He's like, man, you've just been here too long. You need to go home. Because don't you worry about it. I'll handle, and I know the guy's name, but I'm not going to say it because it's just not going to, because I'll handle this. You just get ready to go home and see your family and be with your new daughter. I just had had a daughter when we were in Libya. And uh, it was me because what brought is just remind me because whenever somebody said Roan was the devil, all I, all I remember was that voice of reason, keeping everybody on point, not letting us get off kilter, which that would have just thrown us all off kilter. And he's, he just, it's like, all right, bunch of cats. Let me herd you back on here. Get you guys back focused. And luckily for us, that team leader left before the attack and we had our new team leader come in, but he was scared shitless. So he didn't do anything that night anyway, which was good. He needed to stay on. But I, it just reminded me. So I, I appreciate it. And long story short, I appreciate your relationship to Rome because whenever I hear those stories, I can see them, but I still see, like you said, he fucked you in the beginning, but then he was fantastic. That's, that's yeah. what I remember. And he was well. I think the, the mark of any real badass is that switch, yeah. right? And he definitely, 
he had it, you know, you could see him turn it on and almost sometimes it was, I think he was almost uh, like being a character. You yeah. know what I mean? Like he saw, it was a, a separate personality, you know, he would turn on that instructor mode and he, next thing you know, he's got students painting his fucking garage, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, but he was, he, he was a caring dude and he was, he was definitely a badass. I, I appreciate hearing that stuff too. You know, just your interactions with him. It sounds like you knew him really well. Uh, just from really, we did. We just knew each other from that deployment. We'd been together at that point for two, him and I had been together for two and a half months at that point. We'd been at, and um, no, he, he was running around during the firefights back at our place. He was, we all had been injured in some aspect, not major, but cuts. I'd fallen off a wall. I had fallen off a wall already with slice and, I do remember before the mortars hit, it did remember. He's like, is everybody okay? I'm going to come check on everybody. Cause he was our Delta at the time yep. and he's running around and he's, and I remember he, during the lulls, why all of us would sit back and I'd eat a Snickers on my, and sit in my lawn chair and drink my water. He was running around, making sure everybody was hydrated, making sure everybody was bandaged up. I said, he goes, Tano, you okay? He said, I know you fell off that wall. I was like, uh, I was like, yeah, buddy, I'm okay, but I'm sliced up. And I said, I'm, I'm good though. He's up in 10 seconds with saline, rinsing it out. He bandaged it up all good. I'm like, Ron, I said I was good. He's like, dude, no, no, no. Well, I got you, man. I got you. And then, of course, then he went back up on building C because but when Bub came in and, and the mortars hit, but it, it, it just was him, man. It was like, fucking, we're all resting and he's still out here working. He's putting in fucking work and he had to be tired as shit because I was fucking smoked. And, uh, but, yeah, bro. It, it reminds so I, a lot of respect and a lot of respect for you because I know you were good at your job just by the people that put you through the training. And if he was one of them, fuck yeah. And again, you're a super genius. We'll keep beating that one up. So. But, Shit. Yeah. But, but yeah, oh, bro. Thanks, man. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, thanks Justin. That's all for this episode of the Battleline Podcast. But we'll be back on Monday with more American Straight Talk. Until then, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Battleline Podcast and on Twitter at Battleline Pod. To sign up for future Battleline tactical courses, go to www.christantoperanto.net. Believe in yourself, face all challenges head on, and as always, never, never. quit. Never.